0: Now, on to the podcast. Best time of the year with every level of college baseball going now. Happy opening week of Division I baseball. Next up on the ABCA podcast is our Division I preview. We have an intelligent and entertaining lineup of college baseball sports writers in this episode. New to this year's Division I preview is our former college coach, Craig Kozart from Perfect Game. Then we hand it over to Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. And we finish it off with D1 Baseballs Mike Rooney, Aaron Fit, and Kendall Rogers. As a lifelong fan of college baseball, this is always an exciting time of the year for me. Let's welcome everyone to the podcast. Here with Craig Kozar, uh, PG, but this is this is good because I don't normally get to do an in-house interview. Just luckily, you're right here in town, so thanks for coming over, Craig. Yeah,
1: Ryan, appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and you and I have talked a little bit about it. And I saw you a bunch last year early on, you know, the Tommy White show at NC State <laughs> the first weekend last year. And, sure. um, you know, just because you and I are so close, I do like going to watch games, but it's always good to see you out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I enjoyed it. You know, and you guys have put a bunch of stuff out already, and you kind of sent over some stuff too. But if you just want to kind of go through kind of the players here, maybe sure. some, some things for people to key in on. We're, we're getting ready to start the season here next week. Um just especially with maybe some impact freshmen that maybe some people don't know about yet. Yeah,
1: yeah, that we're going to start uh releasing that stuff uh, once we get closer to opening weekend for the Division 1 uh programs, but uh yeah, we we do a thing called Impact Freshmen's um and uh you know, just a, a list of guys that have kind of jumped out based on what they were going into college and and what we're hearing about them so far this fall. The first guy that really jumps out to us is Ike Irish at Auburn. Um, you know, kind of a Midwest kid. Uh Really blue-collar, hard-nosed guy. Butch Thompson just raved about his fall. Uh, in fact, uh, at the end of their fall series, I guess he was voted team MVP by his his peers, by his players, um, which that's saying something if you're a freshman. But just you know, a kid that's advanced physically, um, really toolsy. Uh, he'll probably DH, uh, probably you know see the opening day uh, starting lineup as the DH because uh, they do have uh, some older players behind the plate. But a uh, real hit tool for Ike Irish. Uh, very, very talented. Um, advanced approach and you know the physical strength is really uh, really uh, something that's going to be special he looks like a guy that's you know going to hit the ground running and should sustain that success even through sec play
0: you know, with some of the other levels that I've talked to, they feel like COVID's kind of run its course. Is that the same thing with the Division Ones now, where maybe we might see some more freshmen get an opportunity to play earlier now? I think
1: for the first time this year, yes. Um, you know, there's still some of those 60-year guys hanging around. In fact, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but, uh, yeah, that cycle is, is – is- Kind of coming around to where you're going to see more freshmen uh, start to have that opportunity. Um, and and the interesting thing is, I look at this list. It's just that these freshmen that we're talking about, they're just so physical. Um, you know, there's a kid uh, at uh, Texas A&M, uh, Jace uh, Lavalette, uh six foot six, two hundred thirty. I pounds. saw him this fall at their <laughs> barnstormers. Yeah.
0: he's he's an amazing athlete. Yeah. amazing athlete. Really good
1: runner for as big as he he's is. He's an unbelievable yeah. runner.
0: He can fly. You know that that's. I'm glad you brought him up because. You, kind of lose track of it a little bit yeah. with the convention and everything but i'm glad you brought his name up because i did get a chance to watch him he yeah. hit a ball about 500 feet that's what i heard fall there were
1: reports that it was you know he was hitting balls 500 plus feet so that's real huh yes that's real you saw it's it a with real your thing. own eyes that's a real thing. yeah um so i mean that's going to be a guy that uh, you know obviously is going to be in the middle of their lineup and then and the neat thing about all of these kids um as freshmen is that These programs we're talking about, they're going to have plenty of support around them, right? Um, So not that he's going to be able to hide necessarily because of how big he is, but he's going to have protection, right? Um, So maybe that gives him a better chance to, you know, really have a lot of success early on. Um, Heading out west a little bit, uh, you know, had good conversations with Dave Esker this, uh, this fall. Um, And, you know, really, really like his club. In fact, he's, uh, you know, their club is one of my picks for somebody that has a chance to win it all this year. Um, You know, Dave just does such a great job. You know, his personality, his quiet confidence is so infectious for his team um, that I think it's really neat. But uh, Malcolm Moore, another catcher here. We are talking about a left-handed hitting catcher. Um, He's going to be starting behind the plate for them uh, based on what uh, Dave is saying. Um, And, you know, this kid's toolsed out, you know, obviously the offense plays, uh, but very very advanced uh, from a mental standpoint, being able to handle uh, what's going to be a junior heavy staff uh, in Stanford. And uh, so, you know, the catch and throw skills are very, very advanced. And you know, I, I lived it firsthand last year with my son for a, for a freshman catcher to go in and catch every day in a Power 5 conference is extremely challenging, but uh, Malcolm looks like he's ready to handle that.
0: Well, and you did it too as a coach. I always felt like that was going to be the hardest position for a freshman to come in yeah. and handle because everything's different from high school for those guys.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. you can't, and that's what I try to explain to people, is you can't calculate the physical toll, much less the, the emotional. Uh, you know, the emotional energy that you're spending every inning making sure that you're handling, you know, these guys and making their their pitching staff look great um you know there's a spinoff for that as well so
0: and stanford also with with coach esker you know they had montgomery high profile freshman and did very well for them at stanford
1: Yep. No doubt. Yeah. So, and, and I think that that's, that's Stanford's way, right? They don't really hit the transfer portal a whole lot. Uh, they bring their guys in much like UCLA and coach Savage, they bring their guys in and develop them. Um, and you know, that pays long-term, uh, dividends, obviously, uh, staying kind of in that, uh, Pac-12, you know, West coast, Gavin Turley, uh, kid at Oregon state. Um, he's, uh, I mean, arguably got the best, uh, five tool set of any freshman uh, going into the season, uh, elite power speed combo, you know, we've seen him run a six, three, actually a 6'2, uh, you know, and, a, and a, a really physical kid, uh, up to 97 from the outfield, um, ended up being a 19th round pick from the diamondbacks, which obviously could have gone a lot earlier if the, the number was different, the signability was different, but, uh, you know, what a get for uh, Mitch Canham and his club. So, um, and then two other guys that kind of jump out, uh, uh, Oklahoma State's got a kid named uh, Nolan Schubart, uh, another <laughs> left-handed hitting first baseman, uh, but really, really had a huge fall for uh, Coach Holiday out there. Um, easy power with advanced feel for the barrel. Um, and it looks like a middle of the order bat, uh, on opening day. And again, a situation where, you know, they had quite a bit of turnover at Oklahoma state, um, and they reloaded and they got some transfers and things like that. Um, but, uh, they're going to need, uh, Schubart to really, uh, do some things. And the guy that may surprise everybody that's probably got a chance to be freshman of the year, um, is a kid named Cameron Smith, uh, down at Florida state, uh, going to play for coach Jarrett, he's like six foot four. I mean, he, he looks like a, a junior already. Uh, he's from down in the Miami area. Uh, he was hurt and didn't play a whole lot, uh, kind of in his junior to senior year. Um, maybe kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit down there. Uh, and, uh, legitimate five tool set. I mean, it's just off the boards as far as, uh, you know, how comprehensive his, his, five tool, uh, uh set is. Um, and just, Fall performance. I think he's hit five or six home runs already uh, as a freshman. I saw a video of one the other day, and you could tell. I mean, it was probably challenging to go over the scoreboard there at Dick Alzer, which is a you know is a, is a poke. So um, that guy is somebody that I think that's going to you know really really turn a lot of heads. And with Link Jarrett uh, and Rich Wallace down there with the job that they do with their offenses, I think he's got a chance to thrive for sure.
0: And I was going to ask you that. You know, do we have more impact head coaches this year that change jobs or assistant coaches?
1: Wow. It's a good mix. I mean, um, you know, the assistant coaches, because you know, you look at Rich Wallace, uh, you know, he goes to Creighton, um, and immediately they play for the championship in the regional two years later. Uh, then he goes to Notre Dame with Lincoln. Obviously, you see what they did there. Um, and now he's at Florida State. And, and he's turned down some head coaching opportunities. Uh, so it's interesting to see where um, you have these high-end assistants, uh, recruiting coordinators, associate head coaches uh, that really like what they're doing um, and aren't jumping uh, to that uh, quality mid-major job or, you know, even, you know, uh, a power five uh, job because they like what they're doing. Scott Fox at, at, you know, at Mississippi State. I mean, how long has that guy been doing it at a high level? Um, but he loves his craft. He loves what he's doing, uh, you know, from a pitching coach standpoint. And, and I think that there's a lot to be said for that, uh, you know, and, and loyalty is, is a good thing in this world, even though it's not often uh, honored uh, or rewarded. But, uh, you know, when you work for somebody that you really respect and takes good care of you, it's nice to see people stay put
0: sometimes. When you think about Dan Fitzgerald going to Kansas, yeah, can, can they get that going? But also West Johnson then going to LSU, leaving right. Pro Ball to come back. You yeah. know, everybody's talking about LSU's transfers, but yeah. I, that might be the best thing that happen to LSU sure. is getting West Johnson to come be the pitcher. Yeah,
1: what coach. a statement that makes on the yeah. national level. You know, and Major League Baseball is kind of standing up and taking notice and going, wait a minute. You know, uh, you know these these college programs are putting together facilities like they have at Arkansas. Uh, you know, obviously like they have at Wake Forest with their pitching lab. Um, so you know, competition. Be- between Major League Baseball and, and, and college baseball is not a bad thing when it comes to uh, keeping coaches and, and you know, uh, creating the type of facilities you need to develop uh, your players.
0: You know, everybody's talking about LSU now with the transfers, but what other transfers are out there, you know, besides Paul Skeens and Tommy White own LSU? (laughs) Yeah, that's,
1: you know, uh, you got to talk about Maui Ahuna, Um, you know, was in the mix, of course, with all of those SEC schools. Um, And uh, I think he's a guy that's really important to Tennessee, quite honestly, because he is a frontline defender. Um, you know, it's it's a big league shortstop. Uh now the swing and miss is a, a little bit of a concern. Um I've heard it's gotten better this fall, um, but he's a slashing explosive type of player, the type of player that Tony vitello likes to run out there. Um but kind of you know infusing that team because they did have, you know. Pretty significant losses, uh, you know, to the lineup. Being able to put him in is, is going to be big for them, um, and he's a difference maker. A uh, kid just down the road, uh, Carter Trice uh, at NC State. Um, is, You know, he hit 31 home runs in the last two years at Old Dominion. Um, coach event really, really excited about him. I and mean, it's real, real bat speed. I saw him in the fall. Um, you know, there over at, uh, the Durham bulls park and, uh, he hit one, not only over the wall, but he hit it over the restaurant that's up there on that plaza over the wall. So I mean, it's, it's crazy tools. Um, he can run, uh, he wasn't healthy this fall, but he's a, he's a plus runner as well so he brings that to the table uh which should impact him on the defensive end um and then another guy to watch is uh you know a mid-major transfer uh going to mississippi state colton ledbetter um you know He's he's got day one draft potential. Quite honestly, uh, you know, Coach Lemonas is pumped about having him left-handed hitting outfielder, which will play well in their ballpark. Uh, you know, you could hook one around the the foul pole into uh, Ron Polk uh, Plaza up there. Um, and uh, 16 home runs uh, last year in the SoCon alone, um, and the SoCon was no slouch last year. Obviously, like, you know, it's a good league from a pitching standpoint um, and some offensive ballparks. But he's going to jump right in there. But uh, you know, another guy that we don't want to go overlooked behind. Paul uh and, and and Tommy White obviously uh at LSU is is a Thatcher Hurd transfer um you know from uh, UCLA uh you know he's got that Pac12 experience um, may have the best spin of anybody in the sec as far as uh the breaking balls are concerned the sliders i mean they've had it 3100 plus rpms which big league elite is 29 to 3000 uh so he's you know well exceeding that uh so you know that probably puts him in a situation where you know maybe he fills in or falls into the second spot in the rotation behind skeins um who is going to be you know upper nineties, uh, touching ninety nine every time out? Um, but saw him at the USA yeah. trials. Did you? This yeah. Summer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, you know the, the interesting. Uh, I don't I know, know about, whether he's going to swing the bat or not. You know he hit forty two home runs in two years at Air Force, so I don't know if they're going to give him that shot or if he's just focusing exclusively on the mound, where obviously he'll be a, a first day pick. So.
0: And you saw games this fall. How how were teams adjusting to the pitch clock? That's something new this year with, with pitch clock with guys yeah. on base. How how what were your your hearings out of that from guys? I don't think
1: it was that much of an adjustment because most of them had been practicing that way, um, you know. And I think if you have a good umpiring staff where they're just constantly, hey, you're reminding the guys get on off the field. Hey, let's you know let's keep moving. Um, then it shouldn't be an issue. Quite honestly. Um, and who doesn't want to see a pitcher get out there and work fast anyway? So, Minor league uh, yeah, baseball yeah. was
0: much better last summer. Right. I wanted to watch minor yeah. league games with yeah. those guys. And they adjusted to it after spring training. So they, it gotcha. didn't take that much that long. Yeah. But yeah. two so, different offensive games, too. Sure. Yeah. That's the difference between pro ball and college ball. <laughs> yeah. A lot more action offenses. Right where it might put pitchers in a little more uncomfortable situation with that, with teams running more and and doing a little bit more to make them uncomfortable. And
1: so there's rules now for the fake step-off, you know, all of that stuff. Now you have to pick, is that essentially what it is? Yes, they have to pick. Yeah, so that's going to, you know, make it interesting. They get one
0: step-off, but then after that they've got to throw.
1: Yeah. Huh. You know, uh, you know, all right, maybe we're going, you know, old school here, but, you know, I hate to see that the game has to change like that, but, you know, if – we evolve back to um, where pitchers are more strike throwers over just pure stuff, then the game's going to move along, right? Uh, uh, So I think that, you know, we can kind of help ourselves by, you know, teaching kids to, hey, let's fill up the strike zone first, right? Yeah, we all want to throw 98. Um, but, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of guys throw 98 that can't throw it across the plate and don't get people out, right? So uh, we can't get off on that tangent right now, though, obviously. So.
0: What about impact seniors?
1: Yeah, impact seniors. I think the, the first guy to come to, to mind, and, man, what a, you know, a gift this was for – uh, Gino Damari down there in Miami is Andrew, uh, Walters. Um, uh, I mean, he's as close to, you know, lights out as you get from a bullpen guy, 14 saves last year and an ungodly 62 to six strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, I think probably the best fastball quality that I've seen in the past 10 years. Um, people know it's coming. Uh, you know, he's going to run it. Chest high, it looks like you can catch up with it, but it's mid to upper 90s with pure spin. Man, you just never get there. I mean, it's just swing and miss after swing and miss. Um, and, uh, you know, they've tinkered with the thought um, and have trained him, you know, and J.D. Artega's a... I mean, he's often overlooked as far as how good that guy is. He's been down there, you know, in Miami forever and just constantly, know... Another guy you know, stayed. Yeah, no, yeah. Another guy a stayed. And he's a, he's a Miami guy, but that you know, he constantly does a great job with his arms. He constantly develops, they stay healthy, but, uh, they are preparing Andrew in such a way that he could potentially start. Um, but I know that, uh, you know, he's open to, you know, still being that guy, the shutdown guy in the bullpen, uh, if their staff looks like it's going to function best with him at the back end. Um, so, you know, what a gift that was Quinn Matthews out in Stanford, uh, kind of you know, a jack-of-all-trades on the mound. Um, he went 9-2 with 9 saves last year in 27 appearances and and uh, was two-thirds of an inning uh, short of 100 uh, on the year. So, uh, you know, he can literally do anything for you. He can handle high-leverage situations. Then um, he's going to give you length as a starter. Um, so I, I was surprised he didn't go off the board. You know, he's one of those pitchability-lifes with good stuff. I mean, it's, it's not a stuff issue. Uh, just interesting that, uh, you know, that he's back. Um, Going to the Northeast a little bit. Um, Evan Slate from Rutgers, left-handed hitting outfielder. Um, he uh, he had a good year last year. You know, batted over three hundred, uh, eight home runs, but really, really distinguished himself this summer in the Cape. Um, went in there and hit I think three hundred eight in the Cape, which you know, hitting three hundred eight in the Cape is like hitting three hundred eighty in college baseball, right, uh, for the most part. So kind of that glue guy, uh, you know, core leader. Uh, so I think it's huge for Rutgers. Um, you and they know, got to something even... to
0: prove. Well, not really something to prove. They, they didn't get yeah. any help from the NCAA selection right. committee. It wasn't them. They did everything that they should have yeah. yeah. in last year.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I really respect about what Steve Owens and that club did last year is, is they played really, really, a really competitive schedule in February, March on the road, even going to the West Coast and and uh, you know put up a bunch of wins. Um, the only thing that ended up catching them at the end because you know we followed it very closely is um, you know people think about RPI and strength of schedule and all this stuff, but it's how those teams finish, where they en- end up in the RPI, and they only ended up with two top fifty RPI wins, um, so that hurt them a little bit. But you still, I think they finished with forty two wins. Um so, you know, they're doing an unbelievable job. And and, you know, having just been up in the Northeast last weekend, um, there's a ton of energy about Rutgers. Uh the interest uh for kids to stay home be a Scarlet Knight has never been higher. Uh so that's a credit to him and his staff. Uh so they're gonna keep I building. I saw that. him
0: in November at the Garden State Clinic and I love Coach Owens. is very yeah. intense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, and I think that's I what kids,
1: you know, they, they uh, respond to that uh, from the Northeast. So that's a good thing. And then one last guy is the Brandon Sprout, uh kid from Florida, right-handed pitcher. Um, you know, Sully has got a true Friday night guy um, and him coming back. Honestly, I think makes them a national title contender quite honestly uh, because he is a proven entity. Uh, he was up to 101 uh, this fall <laughs> with sinking action on the fastball. Um, and uh, the slider has even gone to another level from what I'm hearing. So it's a, you know, it's a complete wipeout pitch. Um, and so to have that on a Friday night, he's going to match up with anybody, you know, that's uh you know, that's going to match up with Skeens or dolander at Tennessee. Right. Um, Um, so, uh, that's a, that's a huge one for the Gators and really did, I kind of think, take them from a, a solid contender to, you know what, you wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, playing in the championship series at the end of the year.
0: Anybody kind of outside the top 25 right now that maybe people aren't, are sleeping on a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I don't know how much Georgia was, you know, top 25 in, in a lot of the polls. Um, we had them at 26, uh, But Scott Strickland's really excited about that offense. Um, they were really, really offensive last year. It's a fun part it, to hit in. Yeah, That's yeah, it's it's, it's lively. I mean, they had 89 doubles, 81 home runs last year. But they got in. You know, we were talking about the the COVID cycle. Um, sixth year, Ben Anderson and Connor Tate are back, and they're kind of the you know the, the engine that makes that offense go. They set the table for their for their sluggers. Um, and so Georgia, I think, is you know got a chance to be really, really good. It's just such a gauntlet in the SEC. You just never know how these teams are going to respond. But they fielded. Oh man, 978. I mean, a very good defensive club last year. Uh, they just couldn't get it done on the mound, uh, consistently, but you know, Jaden Woods left-handed pitcher is back and now he's 93, 96 this fall. And, uh, he looked great in his uh, scrimmage against Florida this uh, this fall as well. So he looks like he's taking another step. Uh, then they got a monster left-hander, Liam uh, Sullivan, um, and uh, you know he's going to be like ninety-one, ninety-three um, with really, really good pitch ability, three pitch that he can throw at any time. Um, and then a host of freshman arms that they're pretty excited about. So their depth and their length pitching wise is, is way better than what it was last year. Um, to go with that experienced and explosive offense, um, you know, you're seeing exit velocities from this, from their uh, club this fall, you know, with four or five guys with 110 plus exit velocities off the bat in scrimmages. So, you know, you're talking, if you're talking about four or five guys that are, you know, 110 plus, that's a lot of juice up and down that lineup. Um, so, uh, Texas state's another team. Um, obviously they hit the scene huge last year. Not in a lot of top 25s, maybe one or you know two here or there, um, but they were three outs away from super regional last year, um, you know, against Stanford. So um, they did lose uh, five starting uh, position players, and that's probably why a lot of people were kind of hesitant to bump them into the top 25. Um, Jose Gonzalez returns uh, with 13 home runs, and then they did a really good job with the transfer portal um, position player wise in JUCO's. But you know they have Levi Wells and Zeke Wood as their one and two, so they're not going to lose a lot of series inside the belt with that one-two punch that they have probably the best mid-major one-two punch that's out there um you know if you want to distinguish between you know mid-majors uh high mid-majors and and uh, the power five so um you know Steve, i think, Steve, I think you know.
0: about texas state too like because people have said like that that's got an opportunity to be a, a great program yeah. wherever they're located and then you think about maybe a stony brook or you look at it who kind of built Tennessee tech, they kind of built sure. on that trajectory and then they yeah. busted through there. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, Steve Trout's got them, you know, on the path in it. And, you know, you're here and you're, you know, we're in the business of scouting. Right. And so when you start here in Texas state, you know, as kids choices, that's, that's never happened before the last couple of years. Um, and then, you know, don't sleep on, uh, you know, Brad Bohannon and the, and the, the tide. Um, you know, Jason Jackson's got a really exciting pitching staff this year. Um, you know, and Jason Jackson has that even keeled mentality. You know, that should really be able to stabilize these guys. Um, but they haven't been to Omaha since 1999. Okay, so that was back almost, you know, in our playing days, right? Uh, and when I when I saw that, I was like, Wow, Jim Wells, sad. yeah, Jim Wells. is there. I mean, yeah, I mean, when he had him there every year, they were the marquee team in the uh, SEC. So. Um, they have a deep staff. I mean, they can go, you know, 10, 12 arms deep that, that touch the mid 90s. Um, Grayson Hitt will be their Friday night guy. You know, he was up to 97 this fall with a four pitch mix. Um, and then Ben Hess, a big old six foot five, 230 pound freshman, Uh, you know, no, he's not a freshman. I'm sorry. I uh, misspoke. But anyway, Illinois he, kid. He, yeah. Yeah. Mid 90s arm. Um, you know, so he's got two distinct breaking balls that are really, really elite. Um, so you know it's going to be interesting to see what they can do. Uh, I think they like where they're at offensively. They anticipate Andrew Pinkney being a, a, a having a huge year because you know he's just their their toolsy guy that they think is just going to explode. And then Caden Rose will, you know, set the tone. He led the team in hitting last year at three twenty six, and he'll uh, he'll be at the top of the lineup again for him. So Bama's got a chance to surprise some people.
0: Now, with this amount of players that we have available, will this be the tightest golden spikes race that yeah. we've had in a while?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's entry. That's a uh, <laughs> you know, to narrow it down to just four or five names is is so difficult, right? Um, and uh, you know, if you work your way from the West Coast to the East Coast, I mean it's it's really intriguing. Um, but you know what? Let's let's stay at home for for the first couple. Uh, you know, you have to talk about Vance Honeycutt from last year. Um, you know, I saw Vance a ton uh, in high school, you know, on the travel ball circuit, and he was a shortstop. Um, and you know, I don't remember him hitting a ball where he drove an outfielder back with a wooden bat. Uh, and then next, you know, what does he do? At, you know, at, at Carolina, uh, hits 26 home runs, I think it was. And you know, he's and the and the speed was something that was so. uh striking how much better it was the first time I saw him you know he kind of rolled over a ball to third and it wasn't even close he was safe by two steps um so it's easy strong, long strides um you know he kind of looks like Byron Buxton in the outfield quite honestly I saw him steal three home runs last year I mean and I, I wasn't at every game so imagine how much he was doing defensively. Uh, so he impacts the game, you know, in so many different ways. Uh, he was a freshman All-American, obviously. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for Tommy White, he probably is freshman of the year. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a guy, if he continues to trend, I mean, he's looking at, you know, 1-1, right, uh, in uh, 24. So, um, yeah, so he's an interesting guy. Nick Kurtz right here in Winston-Salem as well, left-handed hitting first baseman. Um, just had a monster year last year. Uh, you know, Tom Walter says he's the best defender he's ever had at first base. Um, even ahead of, uh, is it Shields that's in the big leagues right now? Um, so, you know, Kurtz is just, uh, I haven't seen very many freshmen with the awareness of the bat head and being able to keep it in the zone as long as he does without dragging it at three, 338 with 15 jacks and 56 RBIs last year. So, um, with other guys in the lineup like Brock Wilkin and Tommy Hawk that are going to distract people, um, I think he's got a chance to you know be a repeat. Um, and then we have to talk about Dylan Cruz and White Langford, right? Those are probably the two front runners. Um, you know, Dylan Cruz is right now everybody's consensus one-one going off the board. Um, big league approach at the plate. I love the way he plays. Yeah, plays hard. Yeah, the way he plays. Yeah, the bat speed and the power is just, you know, uh, so elite. It's easy juice. What do you have, eight home runs this fall? Um, So to be able to put up those types of numbers are crazy. Now, the only guy that, you know, and you've kind of heard some back-channel rumblings that the only guy that could possibly, you know, dethrone him from that top spot is is White Langford at at, at Florida. Um, And uh, arguably, uh, you know, we've already talked about – You know, the freshman with five tools, you know, five tools, White Langford arguably has the best five tool skill set, uh, you know, of draft eligible guys this year. Um, and the thing that, you know, distinguishes him as well beyond the tools. I mean, obviously the numbers are crazy. Um, his makeup is, is off the chart, his work ethic, you know, his leadership qualities. Sully really raves about that. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for a coach that's been doing as long as Sully has to, you know, talk to, about a kid like that, that's going to carry a ton of weight. Um, you know, uh, so those are some guys that kind of jump out right away.
0: You know, you touched on Texas State a little bit, maybe getting to the Super Regional. What are some other teams out there that maybe haven't gotten in a while that yeah. might be there? Or, or some that have never been there. Okay. Might yeah. be their first crack at it.
1: Well, all right. If we're going to start with ones that have never been there, that seem like they're knocking on the door, you have to start with Campbell, right? Uh, Justin Hare. Uh, four straight regionals, two regional finals. Um, and uh, they just haven't broken through. Uh, and it's tough. People don't realize how difficult it is. I can remember when Appalachian State was playing um, at uh, Charlottesville, the Charlottesville Regional. My cousin was in a, an Apple alum and played baseball there, and uh, App was 2-0 in the championship game. And he said, man, they're going to do it. And I said, buddy, I can't tell you how difficult it's going to be for them to win a game. And he said, what do you mean? They all have to win one. I said, I've been there. You know, I've, I'm 0 and six in ch- championship regional games. I know what it's like, and it's just so difficult if you aren't the home team. Uh, you know, to to do that. So Campbell's trying to get over the hump. Uh, you know, they have Kay Keeler, the, the five pitch mix guy. That's 98. He's this little power pack guy, five foot ten. You know, 200 pounds. He's just unbelievable arm. Um, but. Their staff is arguably as deep as anybody in the nation. They had 12 guys at scout day touch 95, I think, or 94. Um, and 19 of the 20 arms they ran out did touch 90. That's that's pretty amazing, right? Um, and, yeah, go watch a know.
0: midweek game of theirs. I saw East Carolina <laughs> and Campbell last yeah. year in a midweek game because yeah. I wanted to watch Neto play. And- sure. Sure. Um, it was amazing. Both both sides were, were rolling mid nineties arms yeah. out there in the middle. Yeah, of
1: the it's nuts. Yeah. So and then they have uh, Daniel Brown, who's a converted position player that you know has, is a left hander that they think is going to be their you know back into the bullpen guy. Touched uh, touched a hundred this fall. Um, so, you know, how many left-handers? that I know we've already talked about a couple, but there's, you know, there's two or three left-handed pitchers across the nation that are, you know, touching 100 miles an hour right now. Um, but they have Belbin and Pearson back. Um, they combined for 38 home runs. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, so the offense is always going to be there. And, and what people that have never played Campbell before don't realize is they put an unbelievable amount of pressure on you from an offensive standpoint. You know, they – they take massive leads. They they do a great job of vaulting. If you don't stop them, they're stealing bags. They they always take the take the extra base. They can hit and run. They can bunt. Um, they're going to stand on the plate. Uh, you know, so they're a difficult team to handle if you especially if you've never played them before. Um, Iowa, Rick Heller uh, we feel like they're, uh, you know, they're in a position to, you know, potentially make a run at a super, uh, you know, super regional got snubbed last year by the committee. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, there's a lot of those stories across the nation, but they had a a pretty solid resume. You know, they went 36 and 19. Um, you know, he likes his depth on the mound this year. Ty Langenford, uh, Langenberg, excuse me, uh, is, has, had an uptick in velocity. He was kind of an 88 to 91 touch and two last year. Now he's 92, 94 sinker slider guy. Um, You got
0: Brecht and Morgan too. I was just in Iowa a couple weeks ago. So I went and watched them practice. And so you got Brecht and and Morgan sitting there too that are sophomores.
1: And what people don't know about Rick Heller and his staff is they've been kind of ahead of the trends from an analytics standpoint uh people don't realize that they were one of the first programs to put track man on the scoreboard during practice um you know so they do a lot of cutting edge stuff um
0: they have the best manager program in the country they, yeah, got, yeah, they yeah. got 28 managers they got oh, 14 man. on field and 14 analytics managers wow. so okay yeah he's he's way ahead of the curve on that yeah
1: two-way star keaton anthony he's going to be in the rotation and uh they'll they'll shift him to dh uh he hit I mean, these are some numbers here, 361 with 22 doubles, 14 home runs, and 55 RBIs. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make a legit run. And and I'm sure that, you know, he's been feeding that fire from what happened last year. Um, Mark Kingston at South Carolina, uh, they're, uh, you know, they're trending in the right way. Uh, You know, they had heavy injuries last year and you know mark's never going to make an excuse um but they got hit pretty hard on the mound and a couple position players and, and despite that went 13 and 17 uh you know in the sec and they end up winning a series at home against texas and you know in a non-conference matchup uh and they did uh, hit the transfer portal pretty good um uh a couple guys uh dylan brewer and jonathan uh, french followed monty lee from clemson um and it looks like those guys probably play in the outfield um gavin cassis from vandy um you know huge power upside should be able to step right in the lineup and give them you know a lot of thump in the middle um but the biggest thing is is that will sanders has even gone to another level i mean he was already a you know Back into the first round type of guy going into this year, but I talked to scouts uh, just a few weeks ago, and they saw him in his last outing in the fall, and he was sustained ninety four to ninety eight, uh, you know, and he's a massive human being at six foot six two fifty. He's put on almost forty pounds since last year, um, in a good way, and uh, you know the pitch abilities there, the secondary stuff is is explosive. Um, Matthew Becker is kind of a sinker, you know. Uh, but then he can run the four-seamer with really, really good induced ver- vertical break uh, at 91-93. And then probably, you'd have to say, uh, the most exciting freshman arm in the nation when it comes to the ability to spin the baseball is e- Eli Jerzenbeck. Um, legit four-pitch guy. Um, really lean in high school. I saw him pitch a lot. Um, and it was you know mostly you know, low 90s. He would touch a little better every once in a while. But he's filled out physically um, much, much more uh, mass. And he was 94-96 this fall um, with extremely high spin rates on two distinct breaking balls, curveball and uh, slider. So uh, South Carolina's got a chance to make a run. Um, <clears throat> I apologize. And and then we're kind of banking on uh, the back itch effect at Clemson. You know, they've had talent. Um, and that's not a knock on the previous staff, but just sometimes, you know, Uh, you know, a a breath of fresh air, a little different approach, a little different vision, um, you know, can make things different. And, uh, you know, they have Cooper Engel and Caden Grice. If Caden Grice fulfills his massive potential from an offensive standpoint and Cooper Engel repeats what he did last year behind the plate, really offensive catcher, then they're in good shape. Um, They just have to – really really pitch because these this they're one of the few teams that you look across the board power five that you might anticipate having you know some national level expectations that don't have power power arms they're you know a lot of good arms and it's crazy we're sitting here talking about 91 and 93 as being good arms right ryan uh but as far as having those guys that are going to be those mid to upper 90s arms you're not going to get a lot of that out of clemson staff so the pitch ability is going to have to be there and defend at a high level and and uh you know make sure that they're opportunistic from an offensive standpoint
0: are you going to put your name on a national champion this year?
1: <laughs> you know what? On record? Um, yeah. So um, I, I couldn't go with the consensus. Um, I'm actually going to go with Stanford. I'm going West Coast. I'm going Dave Esker. Um, you know, they've been there back to back years. Uh, they have, they return more preseason All Americans than any other team, believe that or not. Now, they have five preseason All Americans. Um, their junior class is so heavy and so talented. I think it's the kind of team that just has this kind of seamless year where they just win two out of three every weekend, you know, sweep a lot of people, um, just know what they are, um, and they're going to take that blue collar approach, but they have star power. I mean, it's not like they don't have dudes. You know, they have Tommy Troy, um, Carter Graham, who hit uh, 22 jacks last year's back. Drew Bowser, 18 home runs uh, and 50 uh, RBIs is arguably their best. You know, pros pro type of guy uh, who could take things to another level. We already talked about Quinn Matthews, um, and then Ryan Bruno at the back end of their bullpen. Um, you know, he went six and one last year, only had one or two saves because. Quinn Matthews was getting all the saves at the time, uh, but he had 30 appearances. Um, and he's another mid to upper nineties arm. Um, so I just like Stanford. I like the, you know, there's nothing. It's not like they rely on one aspect of the game, um, to provide them with an opportunity to win. They just do everything so well. Um, and again, I, I you know, a big Dave Esker fan. I, I think he just has such a calming, confident effect on those, those teams. I think they have a great shot. Um, you have to talk about Florida. Um, you have to talk about Tennessee, and that's one area, you know, program we haven't touched on yet. Um, but last year, you, you'd have to say that that's the most dominant regular season, um, probably in ten to fifteen years. What they did was unbelievable, and and I remember seeing this stat because uh, I tracked it all year with them. Um, for most of the year, they had hit more home runs than walks they had given up on the mound insane right now it finished 158 to 164 they hit 158 home runs and walked 164 but most of the year they were hitting more home runs than batters they walked on the mound that's i don't ever remember and seeing And young but... guys in their rotation yeah. too
0: that was yeah. the amazing thing with the young guys they had in their rotation yeah. last year to not yeah. walk that many guys
1: i know yeah i mean so you know their 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 rotation you have to say just from um, a season and talented standpoint it is the best rotation in the nation so you can't deny them Chase Dolander 10 and 0 108 to 13 strikeout to walk ratio Drew Beam uh, went 8 and 1 with a 272 Chase Burns who's arguably got the best stuff of all of them uh, even though Dolander's got a chance to you know be one of the first Couple picks off the board. Uh, went eight and two with 103 to 25 strikeout to walk ratio. Um, lost some pretty big pieces from an offensive standpoint. We talked about what Ahuna could bring to the table, um, and I think that you know, knowing how Tony Vitello coaches and you know he likes to have an edge don't think for one second that those guys ha- aren't reminded what happened with them in Notre Dame in the super regional last year so well you just
0: yeah. can't back off you know right. it, to that that time of year like you just got to keep going and yeah. so that that's the big one for me is see if yeah. they can finally punch through
1: sure yeah well and then i don't believe you know it, we've never had as many preseason baseball polls as we have nowadays but I, I don't believe we've ever had a team that's gotten as many first place votes, I guess, as LSU has this year. Um, And so, you know, us being baseball guys, the interesting thing is when you see how, you know, Jay Johnson handles that roster, you know, how do you handle having a guy that's probably starting at any other SEC school that's sitting on the bench and, you know, looks up a month in the season and all of a sudden he's got nine at-bats, right? Uh, So, you know, so that's gonna be really fascinating. And it's never the team you think it's gonna be. I mean, right?
0: look at look at the history of college baseball. It's never the team that you think it's gonna be coming well, into the beginning of the year. None of
1: us thought Ole Miss was even getting in the regional last no. year, right? Uh, and they got hot and at I'm the right so time. Happy so. for that stuff. Oh my gosh, yeah. Coach Bianco's awesome, and it's just that was an amazing run. Um, so them and uh, you know, Maybe this is the year. Wake Force is the only team in the ACC ACC to ever win a national championship, right? So uh, maybe they uh, like make GDA. it repeat, right? Is that uh, so what What year was that? Do you remember? Oh, <laughs> it was the fifties, right? Yeah, they had
0: their first one ever. What yeah. about East Carolina?
1: Yeah. Uh, we got skewered pretty good by the East Carolina folks for not having them in the top 25. Um, you know, so, uh, they, I, I don't even want to put them as a, a non top 25 Omaha potential, but they are, you know, um, <clears throat> I always tell people, and this is in defense of, uh, you know, Cliff Godwin and, 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 coach Palumbo and the awesome job that those guys do. I mean, golly, uh, they just figured well, out a think way about, every they year. They lost
0: Wizenhunt in the beginning of the year last year. Yep. They lose Gavin Williams from the yeah. year before, who's our the. When I saw him pitch against Vandy, that's the best pitching outing I saw sure. all yeah. year, and, and, and just chewing through the minor leagues right yeah. now. He's a big leaguer. Yeah. Like for for what they did last year, yeah. To lose their one two punch from the year before and still have yeah. that type of year and have a chance to go to Omaha, like sure. I don't know any of other staffs that yeah. are, are going to do that.
1: Yeah, and what I was to say about them, you know, nobody. If you've never been there and you don't understand. That is one of the most high-pressure jobs there is in the nation because that fan base expects to go to Omaha every year, but they've never been. Yeah. You know, so it's just the expectations are insanely high, and he handles that great. Um, but uh, you know, the reason why we didn't have the top twenty-five is because of the losses. We were unsure about how some of the uh, the arms are going to be, but um, a lot of those arms answered the call. Um, you know, Carter Spivey uh, was kind of that guy. You know, we're seeing this more and more. You know, he went eight and but he also had uh, five save but the guy I think that is uh, makes their season is uh, Josh Gross uh, big six foot five kid. I saw him out of the bullpen pretty good. I saw him out of the bullpen really good. I saw him start not good. Um, but man, there is a ton of talent there and he's going to be a legit mid nineties arm with, you know, exploding late, abrupt breaking stuff. If he settles in and proves to be a legit number two, then, you know, here they go again, they're going to host a regional and, and be in the super regional and, and we'll see if they can break through. Um, because you know, they always figure out a way to score runs. Um, and, uh, you know, you give, you give that staff credit because they continually do it, right? What, four out of, four out of uh, Cliff Godwin's seven years, they've been in a Super Regional, right? Oh. Pretty good history. So we, you know, some of the fans were like, you know, so much for, for history. And I said, well, unfortunately, we don't factor in history into our preseason polls, right? Um, if we did, then we would have Ole Miss number one preseason. Uh, but, uh, but that's another thing we love about East Carolina. Is that's a, that is a fanatical, passionate fan base, and it's a beautiful thing.
0: Where are you going to be the first couple weekends?
1: You know, I'm going to go to Bowie's Creek. Uh, I'm going to watch uh, Campbell and Rutgers, uh, you know, on Friday night, opening day. Um, both of those teams are teams that, you know, we had in our 26 to 40 range. Um, and uh, just want to get a quick early season look at them. Um and then I'm going to come back home and watch UNCG and Northeastern. He's got a good uh, schedule yeah. this year. Yeah, Coach
0: Gaudin's <laughs> extremely excited. I yeah. watched their practice a yeah. couple weeks ago. He's yeah. excited. He's got a really good schedule. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean it's 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 pretty impressive. How, you know what he's done? He's got uh, West Virginia coming uh, for a three game set. I think he's got Rutgers as well coming in for a three game set. They go out to BYU for a three game set. They go up to Ohio State for a couple midweek games. Um, and uh, then of course, you know, midweeks around here, you know, you can schedule just as difficult as you want. So, uh, but his philosophy is hey we're gonna play challenging hard you know schedule in february march and you know if we survive it then we should be ready to go for socom play um and And then
0: he's got kennedy jones by the way who yeah, is one a special, of my favorite, stick, yeah. favorite hitters I've seen in a while. Yeah. got spoiled the last few years with Norvides, <laughs> Carolina, and then Neto sure. and, and Kennedy last year that were close right. to be able to watch. Yeah. I really like watching him hit. Yeah, I agree. He stands in there, right? Yeah,
1: there. yeah. He, he was a little dinged up this fall. Yeah, he banged um, his ankle but, a little bit. But uh, I got to see him, you know, just last weekend, and, yeah, he, he's he's peppering the ball around the bark. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that Billy Hutton brought those fences in. It's such a huge ball. It's the largest college ballpark on the East coast, three forty nine down the lines, three eighty-five in the gap and over 400 dead center. So, you know, yeah, if... but he's a pitching guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he knows what, so, um, and then I'll probably end up in Raleigh, uh, check in on the Wolfpack on Sunday. Um, and then, uh, the following weekend is, is the big weekend, uh, in this area with East Carolina and, and, and UNC, um, and that's how we responded as well to the East Carolina fans. Is like, hey, the last five games in February, where you're on the road at Campbell, uh, play Carolina three game set, and then you're on the road at Duke. That'll give us a pretty good idea of where you guys are on a national scale. So,
0: and your boys are doing all right. I mean, you talk are. about physical yeah. human beings. You know, <laughs> yeah. you've got Sammy is a good yeah. example of, of how big kids are now. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Know. I mean, every day I wake up, I'm, I'm kind of amazed how he dwarfs me now. At you know, at six foot seven, two hundred and forty pounds, and um, you know. We, we're doing good if we can find him shoes where size 18 shoe just is, is amazing. So, um, and yeah. as a dad,
0: and I, I love asking this question, you know, how active were you with them growing up? Cause I mean, all three are going to have a chance, yeah. you know, pl- to playing in college. Sure. One's maybe college, maybe pro. Yeah. I mean, how, how involved were you with them growing up?
1: Uh, extremely. Uh, and, and the reason why I made a lot of the decisions I made from a coaching standpoint, um, uh, I knew if I made the jump into the sec that, That was going to be so consuming. I may not be able to be as present as I wanted to be as a father. And so, you know, Jay Bergman at UCF, when I coached, uh, you know, coached there for 12 years, was you know very very uh, family sensitive and let you know the boys would be up in the cage during the day or whatever it might be. And then you know coming up here to High Point, being the head coach, they literally grew up in the dugout with me. So they were hitting batting practice with our team every day, throwing bullpens. Sam was throwing bullpens in front of our entire pitching staff when he was you know eight or nine years old. So uh, yeah, it was it was a blessing uh, and to have a wife that was willing to homeschool them uh like we did much of the time so they could travel with me every weekend and be in uniform and be in the bullpen uh jacob when he was 13 my middle son that's at nc state now was my bullpen catcher when he was 13 years old because we didn't have a bullpen catcher we had to put our backup catcher at first um so yeah no it, it was great and very very much so you know that was the focus you know i always tell people my career is my family and my sons you know how i make it a living was coaching uh and so now you know and
0: you can see what they're doing now too they're 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 future coaches they're probably all going to play for a long time but they're future coaches because they've been in the dugout their whole lives right they've watched so many more games than other kids like they have a huge advantage when they get to college because they've watched way more baseball games than everybody else has yeah
1: yeah it's funny sam does the you know kind of does the programming for his high school pitching staff and and uh so you know it's 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 cool to see those guys collaborate on what they want to do um and you know i'm i'm blessed and fortunate to be able to do what I do with perfect game so that I can get around and, and, you know, still get the ball games and and see my boys in this. It's a small window of time, right? We all, we all realize that, um, you know, those days go by fast. So yeah, it's been a blast.
0: Craig, thanks for your time, man. This is awesome.
1: Thanks for having me, Ryan. Appreciate it. Take care.
0: All right. Here with Teddy Cahill, Baseball America. Uh, Always a great time of year when I get to talk to all of our sports writers because it means the season's right around the corner. So Teddy, thanks for jumping on with me
2: absolutely it's a it's a fun time
0: yes it's a great time i got some off the wall questions first before we get into teams um what what's your favorite college world series moment
3: oh uh
2: you know i think the the one that first comes to mind is when anthony marks played the ball off the wall and uh made that amazing throw uh to to get uh, an arizona runner at home in uh in game three of uh of that series, but I mean, there, there are just so many uh, great moments over the years. But that—that's the one that always immediately jumps out to me. What year was your first World Series that you attended? That was 2016, and that's probably why that moment—the yeah. one that, that always jumps out to me first—because that was the first one I went to.
0: Yeah, that's mine is 1997. So I, I talked about that with a little bit runes with those guys. Just the, the amount of big leaguers that were in that 97 world series. It was every team that was in there had big leaguers. And, and I asked those guys this, and I'm going to ask you this with kind of the new rules that we have coming in with the transfer rules with NIL. Do you feel like we're going to go back to those days where, you know, you have your select few schools that can make it, or are we still going to see some teams that sneak in? Maybe that haven't been there before.
2: You know, it feels like, the last few years have really been already you know before the transfer rules and the nil rules have really gone into effect that it's already really tightened um you know uh, in 2016 when coastal won a lot of people talked about like how baseball was one of these sports where you know there was still room for a champion like a coastal or you know like fullerton so many times or like fresno in, in 2008 but we haven't gotten anything like that since it's just been total power five domination. And, you know, I just think that's where not only this sport, but college sports in general are headed. If you look at how at large bids are handed out in any sport um, you know, the biggest conferences absolutely dominate them. And, you know, right now the sec has such a stranglehold over the rest of the country in so many ways in, in this particular sport that, I you know it, it seems like yeah we're we're headed more towards super teams and you know you're going to look and like there's going to be incredible talent on the field in Omaha no matter where you look and like there's a lot to be said for that that makes for some really good games and really some compelling games but you know you do lose some of the things like you know an Anthony Marks and an Andrew Beckwith at at Coastal Carolina being able to carry them as, as far as they did
0: Yeah, and shout out to Eric Schneider at Louisville. He sent this out uh, this morning, so I screenshotted it. So from 2013 to 2022, four appearances. It's Louisville, Arkansas, Vandy, Mississippi State, Texas Christian, Florida, Texas, Texas Tech. Three appearances. It's Virginia, Oregon State, LSU. Two appearances, Ole Miss, A&M, Cal State Fullerton, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Stanford, Arizona, Miami, Auburn, Florida State. And then one appearance each ucla oklahoma indiana tennessee coastal carolina notre dame uc irvine michigan oklahoma state uc santa barbara and and washington so hopefully we can keep, keep that but you know me being at one aa schools you know jmu was one aa when i was there and then western illinois was one double a I still think it should be one double a for, for all sports. And this isn't just a baseball issue. I think it's, it's across all sports now where I think if we could add another championship, that probably will never happen. But if I'm running the NCAA, I would like to add one double a and, and give another championship for teams to be able to compete with.
2: I mean, there's certainly something to be said for that. I, um, you know, I, I like the fact that everyone's in it together. I like the fact that basketball has figured out how to, uh, how to put on a tournament that's as compelling as it is with all of the teams together. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for that, but you know, basketball also still has teams that make, you know, make it to the second weekend that are very compelling stories like St. Peter's and it, the the baseball format just is kind of failing to every once in a while. You, you do see a super regional team pop through, but, but we're not, we're not getting those stories on uh, the, the biggest stage and, yeah, you know, so I, as much as I applaud basketball for figuring out how to do this, maybe their format is just set up in a way that that baseballs isn't, and and that's why that it works for them.
0: Well, do we get to one and done? I mean, that, that that's how it works for basketball is it's a one and done, and you know we'll never do that for baseball, but that might be your one opportunity to to give maybe those teams a chance because their best arm has a chance to beat anybody. You know that you know that's the difference with the basketball tournament is it's one and done.
2: For sure. And, you know, the, maybe the I, I know you mentioned you mentioned Mike Rooney before, and he's kind of championed this idea of changing the format to best of three series. And maybe that would help because it would at least then provide you with an opportunity. It, it would it would add a weekend to the tournament and it would if you did break through with a, a lower a low seated team that that pulled off a stunning episode, you would have a week for everyone to realize like, oh, wow, they just did that rather than. You know, okay, Texas State made a regional final last year, and they had a really good season. But you know, they didn't their their fans didn't have a, a great opportunity to really celebrate that. They didn't have a home regional, which uh, you know was disappointing. I'm sure, considering that another team from their conference did, but they didn't have a home regional. And then you know, yeah, they played in a regional final on a Monday, uh, and uh, but it was on the West Coast. Like, how many people were still? you know, up to watch that in, in the San Marcos area. Whereas if they had, you know, been able to win uh, a, a first round series, first of all, it probably would have been at home. And then second of all, they would have had a whole week to celebrate that and build anticipation for, for a second round matchup.
0: Yeah. And I don't know why the NSA wouldn't want to do that. It's cheaper for them. You have, you have less teams traveling. Um, you know, you're going to have more regional matches, matchups with that probably. So I just don't know why the NSA wouldn't do it just because it's going to save them money.
2: And if they're looking at expansion, which they are right now, um, I, I think it also would help format-wise because right now there's no easy way to expand the tour- tournament. You're, you're talking about playing games no matter what, no matter how you handle those. So somebody's going one and done, and I don't know how many coaches, fans, or players would be happy about that. So if you build in some sort of expansion and you bring in three-game series, like it, it does make it easier. It does add a weekend to the NCAA tournament. Like I, I will acknowledge that. And, so you have to give up something somewhere, whether that means an earlier start date and or you less know, you games. To give, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, uh, give up a week games, of the regular yeah, season, 52 game uh, you schedule, know, you know, that, that's all something has to give, though, if you were to do it. So, I, yes, I, I think most people would willingly make that four game trade. I, I think it would be worth it, but uh, it, it would require some different thinking about the season than what you have right well, now.
0: Well, and I think it makes it easier on the selection committee too, because now, you know, like last year, Oklahoma State, Arkansas goes to Oklahoma State like that. You don't see that, you know, if I'm, if I'm the 16 seed, I would much rather have that than maybe I, I've got, you know, a two seed in my regional that, that uh, is going to be more of a handful for me than playing the, you know, the, the 60th team uh, or the 55th team. Like, I, I just think the the seeds would want that too as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, Georgia Southern last year, okay, you get to host, but here's Notre Dame and Texas Tech in your regional. Good luck with all of that. Like, that's, yeah. you know, like, how fair is that to Georgia Southern? Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, so they, the, the 16 seeds that, that currently host, they'd get better draws. You know, I mean, Oklahoma State, you know, how fair was it that Arkansas showed up there? And, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why that that happened, but it would uh, it, it would change a lot of things. And I, I used to be a little more skeptical about it. I'm now much more into the
0: idea, especially if they are g- going to expand the, the field. Yeah, I just I think it's another way to grow the game. The game's in a great place at all levels of college baseball, but I think it's just another way to, to expand the game and keep the game growing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, more bringing tournament baseball, which is a very compelling product, uh, to more people around the country i mean if you're if you're looking to expand interest I, I think that's maybe the the best tool that that anybody has in in the arsenal all right another off the wall question here if you had a walkout song, what would it be? oh man um so i don't i don't even know where I would go with it right now like uh <laughs> it would uh it it would be i i would like to see somebody uh and i guess in, in this scenario i i would i would have to like practice what i'm what i'm about to say like i just want to i just want to have fun with it you know like the the really serious songs like there's definitely a place for that and uh you know certain guys like i'm sure that really like gets them juiced up going into the box or, or stepping on the mound but i i think i would want something that would just like keep me really loose you know like last year sunny d had uh yeah, he had a really fun kind of song that got the the crowd singing um you know down there in auburn and it was like a, a an italian song and uh you know i i like that aspect of it um you know i have gone through stages in my life that, you know when i was a teenager i'm sure i would have wanted the the really hard edge like serious thing but i i'm now at the like let's just let's all have fun and like let's get relaxed going into the box or or stepping on the rubber
0: Yeah, ninety six. Mine was a Fire on the Mountain because I I was one. I needed to be calmed down, but it was also it was honoring Jerry Garcia who had passed away that summer. So, but it worked for me. I had ninety hits that spring. So, Fire on the Mountain uh, actually worked for me that spring. Perfect. Yep. So I don't know what I do now. Probably be a little (laughs) more ramped up to try to get me going. (laughs) You know, with the top twenty five. You know, we have so many top twenty five holes. Seems like everybody's kind of in consensus with LSU, Tennessee, two. You know, Florida has been in the top five for, for most everybody, Stanford, Louisville, Vandy, a and Miami, Wake Forest, Mississippi, Arkansas, UCLA, Virginia Tech, Texas Christian, Oklahoma State, Maryland, UNC, Oregon State, Virginia, Oregon, uh, Southern Miss, Auburn, Texas Tech, East Carolina, and NC State. It seems like everybody's kind of got those 25. They might be in different spots, but it seems like that that's a consensus for everybody is those top 25 schools.
2: I mean, there's very much consensus at the top, and you know, I mean, a, a, as you do any ranking of 25 things, eventually it's dilutes a little bit near near the back end, and certain people have different opinions about stuff. But yeah, I mean, right now, especially at the top, with the uh, with Tennessee and and LSU at, in there, that the, those those seem like clear-cut things, and you know, I, that concerns me a little bit, you know, as a as a prognosticator that. Uh, you know i i believe a lot in in those two teams but you know somebody's out there that's lurking that that we aren't even thinking about right now and you know i especially think about the acc which um it, it just you know wake forest is probably the most talented team in the in the league but we're not used to seeing them up there and like they don't have the kind of postseason success uh that you know uh they just don't have that experience that some of those other programs there got over the last couple years so what what is that going to mean for for the league as they go through it um you know it's going to be really interesting to see but i I feel like there's a really talented acc team out there and you know, I, I think it's Louisville, but like somebody is going to, to leap up there, I think, and, and, and make a surprise out of that conference.
0: Well, and and if you look at past history, you're better off not choosing LSU or Tennessee to win it because the likelihood of that happening, I mean, we we would think it would happen, but the likelihood with college baseball, that happening doesn't usually happen with college baseball.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, there's only been one team in the 21st century that started the season number one in the baseball America top 25 that finished that way. And, um, it's just incredibly rare. It was pretty recently. It was it was Vanderbilt in 2019, but um they were not the number one overall seed going into the tournament. They you know they were the two overall seed. It's not like they fell on their face. They won like in 26 SEC games that year or something crazy. But um the the top teams at, at the at the start of the season, you know, like they they have a pretty good track record. You know, Texas was number one going into the season last year and and they made it to to Omaha. Florida was uh, in 21 and they didn't, but they did host. I mean, I I think we can be confident that LSU and Tennessee are going to be very good teams this year, but the nature of the NCAA tournament, the way that it's set up right now, it, it it makes it very hard on these teams and and, and just the nature of baseball. It's a, it's a weird game. And, uh, and it's a long
0: season. Like, you know, you you don't ever factor in injuries you know, lack mm-hmm. of performance, not everybody's going to play up to their potential. There's a lot of factors that go into who wins this thing.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's what makes it fun. Uh, but it also, you know, if you're a fan of LSU and Tennessee, you don't want to think about it that way. But if you're everyone else looking up at these behemoths, uh, I mean, there's it, what we're sitting here in February, what, what we're talking about as, uh, as the tournament starts in June is going to be something completely different. Yeah. Do you get a chance to get out and see anybody this fall? Um, I got married this fall. So my fall was,
0: uh, was was,
2: uh, very very different. Thank you. And so the, the answer is no, I I, I didn't see anyone. You're
0: smart. You're a lot smarter than me. I I wasn't smart enough to stay at home as much as I needed to.
2: It's, uh, it's tricky. I guess I did see LSU very early though. It was like September. They weren't even, they had just started. They weren't, they weren't playing games yet, but that that was the one thing I did do was I got to Baton Rouge.
0: Is Paul Skeen's going to get to hit?
2: I think he will. Um, I'll be interested to see how much they use him that there. They have so many mouths to feed, but like if you have a bat like that with as much power as he can provide, I I, I think he he will hit. I just. uh, Selfishly. I want to see him hit
0: because he has a chance to run into a ball every every bat. Like selfishly. I want to see that guy hit.
2: Yes. I I expect that he will get worked in there, but they, again, they just have so many guys to, to use and, Really, right now, I think he's only going to be a DH potential. Like he could catch, and I guess in an emergency, but uh, since he's not
0: doing that now, I, I I don't know how they would use him aside. Yeah, no chance DH you throw plan. him back there. That that's yeah. the only thing you don't do with him is throw him the gear on him because if he takes a foul ball off his throwing hand, that's not good. Right, right. You know, who else are you bearing down on here early? You know, what 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 are you looking for here early? The first couple weekends.
2: Well, I'm really interested in. Um, uh, you know, I, I I'm going to Mississippi, um, hopefully to at least three of those schools on, on opening weekend, um, and I'm interested in all three of the the big ones down down in the Magnolia State. I mean, Ole Miss, uh, of course, looks like they're in really good shape coming off of the the national championship. But you know, what are they going to be like without Tim Elko? Um, Mississippi State, so many new faces. They hit the transfer portal really hard after such a disappointing and. Uh, injury plague 2022 so what is that like now and then you know southern miss we have a lot of expectations for them and they've certainly earned that over the years um tanner hall is really exciting they have an older lineup and uh so i am I'm, I'm intrigued by those three schools as uh as as we get into this and and like i mentioned also i the acc the we only get three weeks before they start into conference play but you know it is anybody going to make a statement early on before they start conference play that they're a team that uh, that needs to be taken really seriously
0: yeah it's i really like the acc schedule though i like how they start early i love it yeah I,
2: there's uh and, and they have to there are so many schools that have like the finals that that they're required to take off for. i, I don't fault them in any way it's just like it does mean that like you, if you're not ready to go like you're uh you, you're gonna find yourself in a in a world of hurt pretty quickly um, those those teams because they have one less week than the SEC and the the Pac-12, but even less weeks than the Big Ten. Um, you know that you have to you have to find yourself very quickly, and uh, you know the, just the way it, the way it sets up there. It it um, you know because they they start that that fourth week with conference play, it, it puts a uh, puts an you know an extra emphasis on
0: finding your rotation, finding your lineup uh, as as quickly as you can. Do you think that's been the detriment for Wake Forest? Because they were one of those schools. Like at JMU, we had to do that. Like we were off for two weekends, and it it drove me nuts the four years that I was at JMU because we had good teams, but it just felt like we got out of a rhythm taking that time off.
2: I don't think so uh, because Duke under Chris Pollard has uh, been really good, and they, they have to do it too. Uh, So I, I don't think so. I mean, it's uh, I'm sure it's not easy uh, for for everyone, but uh, I, I do think so many teams in the ACC have similar situations that, that we can't point to point to that
0: for being a reason for wake. Yeah. I mean, how much does Louisville have back from last year?
2: Louisville is um, you know, they're, they're certainly missing some guys, but uh, you know, Jack Payton's back, but behind the plate, Christian Knapsack is back uh, in the middle of the infield. They've got some arms back. Uh, Isaac Humphreys came on and, and looked really good for them uh, last season, and he returns in the outfield. So I, I think they have some uh, important key pieces back. But they do have, uh, you know, like they do everywhere or every year at Louisville, they, they have some some guys that moved on to pro ball that, that they're going to have to replace. I, one thing that I really like, though, is uh, the recruiting class was was very impressive. And they've got some freshmen who I think are going to be ready to help. Uh, but you know the the other thing about Louisville is that you know they have players back that you and I don't recognize uh, the names of right now or, or, or only know a little bit, but that they're going to step up because that's just the culture that Dan McDonald has built there. That um, you know you might not play as a as a freshman or as a true freshman, but like if you you just give it a year uh, you know, we'll, we'll develop you, you'll learn, and then you'll be ready to go. And, and when your number's called, you gotta be, you gotta be ready there and time and again, year after year that that has been the case.
0: Yeah. Their staff reminds me of EVA staff. Like I, for, for me, those two staffs are neck and neck with guys that have been there for a long time, but are really good at developing. They, they always seem to have really good young players, but those players continue to trend up over the course of their career.
2: Yeah, it, it really stands out, those places that, um, you know, just the, the player development piece, not just developing freshmen who are ready to play right away, but just sticking with guys and being able to to build them year over year. And it doesn't have to be, you know, just freshmen doing this. I, I think about Texas last year with Murphy Staley. Where would Texas have been if, if Murphy Staley wasn't an All-American? Uh, and you know, he he's a guy that, uh, you know, just had a really, really strong senior year. But, you know, you, you have to have players like that, that develop over time. And, uh, you know, because it, it can't just all be the newcomers instantly walking into it. And like, sure, you know, you, you get better, even if you start as a freshman, you get better freshman to sophomore to junior year, sure. But it also does have to be some guys that, that are waiting on the bench, waiting for their turn, and continuing
0: to develop, and, and then uh, breaking out, whether that's their sophomore year, or their junior year, or their senior year. I'm going either UCLA or Stanford to win it. It's time. It, we're due for a California school to win it. We haven't had one in a little bit, so we're due. So that's my I, call. Don't I come at me, people. I'm just UCLA. having I'm having fun with this, people. Don't come at me. But <laughs> I'm saying we're due for a California champion.
2: I, it, it hasn't been since UCLA went up the last time. Yes. So, uh, you know, I, you might be onto something about the do factor.
0: <laughs> I think they're due. They're you know, Maryland, w- w- how much does Maryland have back from, from last year? You know, the lone, lone Big Ten, which, which probably, you know, is the case right now. I think the Big Ten's got to start to prove it again. Um, you know, we're not that far off from Michigan making it, uh, but obviously COVID, COVID did not help that league with, with how the Big Ten handled it. And, you know, there's some teams that got snubbed last year, too, and Iowa and Rutgers that both probably should have gotten in. But I think that the committee still had a, maybe a little bit of bad taste in their mouth from the year before. And they don't have a representative on the selection committee either. So I think that hurts the Big Ten a lot.
2: I, I will say that the, the representative, uh, you know, that that can be a factor. Um, the committee would absolutely like really push hard against that. Being the case, right? <laughs> I, I think that, you know, it, it, having somebody um, that knows as much as you know, that they it, it is helpful. I, I I'm willing to believe that, but I don't think the committee punished the big 10 a year ago. I just think the big 10 wasn't very good ultimately. And uh, Rutgers probably deserve to be in the field, but Rutgers also probably should have played a more difficult schedule. I it's hard to that- know
0: though. You know, you, you, the hard thing is as, a, as, a, and, and I did scheduling for a long time. The hard thing with scheduling is you're not scheduling next year's schedule. You're scheduling four years down the road. So it's hard to know who's actually going to be good on your schedule you you have some insight into maybe okay historically this program is good, but coaches are doing this three four years down the road it's it's hard to it's hard to to map that thing out three or four years down the road on who's actually going to be good all of that's definitely
2: true um, I just what what they did last year I don't even really see the intent to schedule all that difficult and look where they were as a program. Like they probably weren't even thinking about like, Oh, well, we need to make sure we get an at-large bid. They were probably thinking uh, we need to, we need to learn how to win some games and, and then we'll, we'll, everything will take care of itself later. Um, and it didn't work out that way. And they did not serve themselves well in the big 10. They lost series to the top three teams in the big 10. And so they, ultimately gave the committee reason to doubt them yep. and it's unfortunate because that program is ready to, to take a big step forward and i think they will this year um but can anyone challenge maryland in that league right now i mean right now i, w- I would have to say the answer is no um maryland brings back an awful lot from a season ago uh they do lose uh, a couple of uh a couple of outfielders and uh most notably who was uh an all-american they lose a starter but you know they've got like six or seven regulars returning to that lineup uh matt shaw who's their shortstop is a projected first round pick uh they've got two starters coming back jason savakul was an all-american a year ago is that their friday guy
0: yeah he and, was really uh, good i saw him against campbell early in the year last year they came down to campbell and played he was so good. So good. Just pounded the zone with everything. He reminded me of some of the throwback colonial guys we had back. He's not a Justin Verlander type, but more of like a Justin Ornduff mm-hmm. type. That's kind of who he reminded of who pitched at, at VCU, who pitched in the big leagues. That's, he reminded me a lot of Justin Ornduff.
2: Yeah. He's not the most overpowering and, and their staff in general, isn't the most overpowering, but they throw a lot of strikes and their offense is going to get them plenty of runs. they, only Tennessee hit more home runs last year than, than Maryland. So, um, you know, they're uh, they're, they're going to go out there and they're, they're going to score runs and, and uh, their, their pitching staff does enough to keep them in games. And it's, uh, it's a really exciting team this year. And I, I think that they have what they need to to be able to continue to build on last season's success.
0: Is this the last year that the big 12 is going
2: to look like the big 12? Well, it's going to be different when you don't see Oklahoma and Texas in there. Um, now, I think that next year, it sounds like uh, the talks are continuing about when when the exit will happen, but it, it does sound like we're actually going to get one more year of it. Uh, but it's going to be very different next year, even if Oklahoma and Texas are there when you see UCF and BYU and Cincinnati uh, in, in the league as well. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it works. Uh, but if uh, if Big 12 baseball to you means like Texas playing Oklahoma State and Oklahoma playing at, at Texas tech and, and stuff like that. This is potentially the last time we'll see it, but um, it does seem like maybe we'll get one more year.
0: of that. I, yeah. I'm a traditionalist. So I miss the old days. I miss the old big 12. I, I miss the old Missouri Valley. You know, I wish Wichita and Creighton were, were back in the Valley. I, you know, it just, I'm a traditionalist. I miss, I miss the old days of, of college athletics.
2: Well, I mean, I guess I, I have to ask, what do you mean by the old days? Because the big 12, his concept has only existed for like 25 years you <laughs> oh, know God. so you know you go back too far and Miami <laughs> is an independent winning national titles uh you know so like
4: the
2: what, what college college sports has always been changing these conferences yes. have always been changing and uh you know so i think that is important to remember like yes it still is strange maybe that missouri is in the sec and nebraska is in the big 10 and Oh, don't look now, but UCLA and USC are going to be in the big 10 in a couple of years. But, you know, if you told somebody from like 1990 that Miami was in the big East and, um, you know the 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 Southwest Conference had dissolved and yeah. the Big Eight had ab- absorbed them into the Big Twelve. I, I think those people would be very confused as well.
0: I'm going back to when like Citadel and Maine used to make the College World Series. That's how that's how <laughs> far, far back I'm going. That's how traditional I am with that. And when Citadel and Maine used to make the World Series. Yeah, back when regionals were truly regional. Yes. Yep. For sure. For sure. So who who are you picking? I mean, who are you going to pick? I mean, I, 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 feel like I have to pick LSU. Yeah. Um, you know, the talent
2: there is, is exceptional. I'm, I'm really excited to see it. Uh, if you made me pick like LSU or the field, I would definitely pick the field. I, I don't think yeah. that they're you know that big of a favorite, but I, I do think that, um, you know, just the talent level there is, uh, is, is so great. And the coaching staff, uh, I really trust them to make whatever adjustments they need to make throughout the season. Those guys do
0: uh, do a really good job. And, like,
2: they have a literal MLB pitching coach just now. And
5: uh, yeah, I, I've said with, that. With...
0: I said that on the other two, too. It's like I think that's the biggest pick. Everybody talks about these players. I think that might be the biggest pickup during the offseason was, was Wes Johnson now being the pitching coach at LSU.
2: I mean, Jay Johnson does an incredible job. Both at staff building, you know, he's and had recruiting. So I mean, you look at the. Now, t- there's recruiting. a reason those two
0: at the top with Tony Vitello and 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 Coach Johnson. Like, there's a reason those programs are doing what they're doing because those guys are elite recruiters. Also, absolutely. And
2: Jay's an incredible hitting coach too.
0: But yes. but the way he builds his staff, I mean, I, that that
2: can't be overlooked. And he's just done a really good job at it at Arizona at uh, and and now at LSU. And uh, to add Wes Johnson, who again i can't emphasize this enough a year ago was preparing for spring training with the twins um like now he's he's gonna be in the dugout there like you know working with these guys day after day and and i i think that's a you know jason kelly is a great pitching coach as well but uh you know it's just a little different when you're bringing a guy in
0: with uh with wes's experience yeah yeah for sure You know, when will you look to maybe adjust the top 25? Because I don't do it. Like, I'm always intrigued, like, your process. You know, are you going to let a couple weekends play out here before anything happens? Or do you look that first weekend and maybe make an adjustment? What's Uh, your process?
2: We'll have a new update that first weekend. Now, we do try and really throughout February, really until anyone starts conference play, I would say, like, you kind of have to prove to me that like I was wrong yeah. the first time to make uh massive changes. And, you know, I, we, we just spend so much time looking at this and evaluating it that and baseball is such a weird game, especially when you're playing it in February, uncertain weather, travel, all the rest of it. Uh, you can't overreact to the first weekend or to any one weekend throughout the season. Yeah. But the reality is that they play games, on the field, we have to react to what actually happens on the field. It can't just be what's, what's in my mind or what the computers are, are telling us or, or whatever. Like they, they do play the games on the field. So, yeah, after, uh, after the first week, we'll, uh, we'll have a new top 25, and I'm sure a lot of people will be mad about it. That's, uh, that's
0: <laughs> Any, it anybody kind of nipping to get in that, that, that were tough calls that, that aren't in the top 25?
2: I mean, there are always tough calls, no matter how many teams you would, you would put in. There's always, a, there's always a tough cut line there. And, um, you know, I, I, I think a school like Mississippi State, which just has so much new, um, you know, I, I, they're just really hard to evaluate. Texas, like the entire lineup is new, basically. They have two returning starters offensively. Um, th- those two schools were, were really tough to, to keep out because I, I really like the talent level. Uh, at both places, but um, you know th- th- those were those were definitely two of the ones that we were considering that that did not make it. But also, I, I should throw in UConn uh, and UCSB. Uh, you know that both of those schools lost a lot of talent from really really good teams a year ago. But you know what? UConn's probably going to win the Big East again this year, and UCSB's probably going to win the Big West, and they're probably going to win like forty games. And I just really trust those programs to keep on keeping on and um you know they're top 25 type programs so for them not to be in the top 25 right now like that that was a little tough for me as well
0: yeah those are two programs that that nobody really talks about a lot and then you look at the end of the year like oh yeah we should have maybe been talking about them a little bit more
2: nobody won more games last year than UConn except for Tennessee like
0: nobody and I love coach
2: panders too I do. I it, and, it. and you look at the team that made a Super Regional last year that was a win away from Omaha. It wasn't their most talented team. Like the last time they made Super Regionals, they had George Springer, they had Matt Barnes. Like those are like George Springer is one of the best players in the big leagues over the last decade. And, you know, Matt Barnes, incredible player as well. And those weren't the only standout stars on those teams. I don't think last year's team, no disrespect to any of those players, but I don't think there was a George Springer on that team last year, and yet still one win away from Omaha. It, it, was, uh, it was just a really, really good team that um, you know, played well
0: the the whole season long, and uh, when they got into the tournament, they were ready to go. Now, selfishly, the last two years, I'm, like two years ago, Norby's at East Carolina, and then last year, Netto's at Campbell. Are there other hitters? I, I know Honeycutt at, at UNC, but – is there anybody else I need to bear down on? Because I felt like those were the two best hitters in the country the last two years, so I got spoiled being able to watch those two. Yeah, I mean,
2: Honeycutt is, uh, you know, I've seen an early version of our 2024 draft ranks, which are in the process of being updated. You'll probably find them on BaseballAmerica.com soon. Honeycutt might be number one on that list. So uh, the, in the 23 class, you know, there's some good players in your neck of the woods, but I don't know that you're going to see anyone quite
0: that good. Uh, Their bat-to-ball skills were ridiculous, and you look yeah, what they did. And they, yeah. I mean, they both got up to double A quick. You know, Norby had almost, I think, thirty home runs last year, and, and Neto hit, I think, over like three twenty in double A last year. And, and the thing about Honeycutt, as good as he is, is that if you're, if you,
2: if you, that's the kind of player you want. Just the the hit ability, bat-to-ball skills. That's Vance is not your guy for that. Yeah, like there's there's a lot of swing and miss there. It's yeah. it, he is maybe the one of the most dynamic players in the country, but the, the bat to ball skills are the,
0: the question mark right now. So, so if you had to pick the 23 draft, who's, who's the first college hitter off the board and who's the first college pitcher off the board?
2: I mean, right now you got to go with Dylan Cruz and chase Dolander. Um, You know, I, I think Dollander is, as long as he stays healthy, I, I think that there's a, there's kind of a gap between him and the rest of the pitchers in terms of prospect status. and, you know, there are other good prospecty pitchers out there but I just that that guy is incredible that that is what you would if you could draw up a a, a pitching prospect like I I think chase Dollander is what you draw um Dylan Cruz right now is definitely at the the front of the line probably at the front of the line for the whole draft but he has real competition I think Wyatt Laneford at Florida is um you know right there not not too far off Cruz and I'm sure you could find people that like him more even and Jacob Gonzalez uh, has a lot of, of buzz. I mean, if you can take a shortstop, um, obviously some teams are, are gonna feel like they they want that over uh, even a center fielder, just the positional value you can put on a guy that, that you think can play shortstop every day in the big leagues and, and hit the way Jacob Gonzalez does. I, I could certainly understand why a team would be uh would be into him at, at as the highest ranked uh college position player
0: well and with all those guys there's track record record like it's not I mean there's some projection but like their track record at the college level is ridiculous like they they've done it they've done it every year they've consistently done it they've there's been pressure on those guys they've handled the pressure and you know in Dolor for me like I, I that's the crazy thing for me now is guys are holding their velocity for an extended period of time like that—that's the thing yes. that, that jumps out for me is—is is guys have really good present velocity, but they hold it for a long period of time, which you never saw that in the past.
2: No, I mean that—that's uh, absolutely one of the the big changes. And as a starter, uh, you know, and Tennessee did a really good job with all of their starters last year, and they had such a deep bullpen they could do it. But you know, they they. Basically, those guys were only going to work six innings. Uh, every once in a while, somebody would work a little bit longer if they were really nice with their pitch count. But for six innings, they went out there and they aired it out. And uh, if Chase Dollinger is going to do that for six, uh, it makes it really tough on batters. And uh, just the stuff and the angle and the spin rate, I mean, he's got it all. And, um, you know, it's uh, facing him on a Friday
0: night is, is not an easy thing for any, anyone to do. Giddy up. You're going to have your hands fall. He's one of those guys, too, like as a coach where you're watching the opposing pitcher go just play catch. Like you go watch him play long toss and you're like, ah, we're going to have our hands full tonight. <laughs> I mean, I go down a lot, you know, Justin Verlander, Luke Hocheever, you know, Kyle Freeland, guys that, that you coached against where you just watched him play catch. You're like, oh, buddy, we're in it. We're going to be in it tonight. Yes.
2: I, I, I cannot imagine like stepping into the box. Cause he's a, he's a big dude too. Yeah. Like it, it, it just, he's coming at you. Him and Paul Skeen's both like, yeah, they're big guys. They throw really hard and uh, you know, they, they, they have that intimidating look
0: about them. All right. What's some final thoughts before I let you go? You
2: know, I'm just excited to get this season going, you know, we've, uh, we, we we've been sitting around talking about how we think it's going to go, but you know the 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 great thing is there are going to be some surprises. Uh, whether it's a, some mid major making a, a super regionals run or or you know maybe you know last year nobody was talking about Tennessee as a team that was going to win 50 plus games and be the number one overall seed, and you know that was one of the the biggest things in in the sport not only last year but in the last few years. So I'm just excited to see like what that's going to be this year.
0: Yeah, that, I, you know, Tennessee, I'm, I'm intrigued because, you know, two years ago they go to the World Series, they, they weren't themselves at the World Series. Then last year they lose in the Super. I'm just, you know, I'd like to see them just kind of continue to make those adjustments, but that, that's what I'm watching for. And, you know, that, the type of energy that they play with, that's extremely hard to sustain for, for that long of a period. So I'm intrigued to see if they still come out with kind of that same deal. Plus the props are taken away. So well, the know, other that, thing is that, that's part of it too. It. The props are taken away. You know, there's been some rules changed in the offseason yep. that people are, are, you know, are talking about, but maybe as a general fan don't know as much props are getting taken away. You've got the new pitch count rule. You've got the step-off rule going in. So that's going to be an adjustment for the the teams going forward too.
2: It, it will be, we didn't really talk about Tennessee much, but the, they lost some real, not only dudes in terms of on-field performance, like Trey Lipscomb might've, you know, he was he was exceptional last year and, you know, the first round pick and and uh, and, and all sorts of things. But they also lost, you know, in, in losing Drew, Drew Gilbert and Trey Lipscomb and, you know, all the many other guys that they lost, Luke Lipschius, uh they lost guys that were real leaders on that team. And that's a really hard thing for people outside the program to evaluate what that's going to mean for a team going forward. So we can look at Tennessee and say, like, well, their whole rotation's back. They have the deepest, best pitching staff in the country, if you want to drop that on them. Uh, and, like, I trust them that they're going to score a bunch of runs again, because they've always scored a bunch of runs under Tony Patello. Like, that's where I'm at with Tennessee. But the other side of that is, well, OK, but who's the leader now? Who's going to step up? And how much were those guys how influential were those guys day to day because baseball's a long season like you said they, they play 56 of these games and uh you know who's going to bring the energy now who's going to to bring the leadership that was so crucial to this team over the last two years
0: yeah and for for anybody that hasn't been in a dugout or in a clubhouse that makes a huge difference in how your older guys handle it and you can have some younger guys that lead but that's a huge thing that from the outside looking in that, that, that the general fan doesn't understand like that, that means a lot in how things are handled in dugout in the clubhouse, whether you have player led program, that makes a huge difference who's standing at the end.
2: And, uh, it, it's just one thing that's almost impossible to gauge from the outside.
0: Yes. And, uh, that's one of the things that makes prognosticating difficult. And, uh, and yeah, so we'll, and, we'll and coaches and players out there. That's why you can't worry about the outside noise. It doesn't matter. It just matters who's who's in that locker room and who's in that dugout. That's all that matters.
2: Yeah, I mean, and look at last year's national champs without Tim Elko and just like yes, with without Tim Elko's bat, but also without Tim Elko's like just leadership, they're not where they are. Yeah. So all,
0: he's the Kev, stuff- Kevin Millar. Like he, that's he's the college version of Kevin Millar. He carried them, you know, like Millar did for the Red Sox. When yeah, they finally the won just it, just he, was, he was the thought, college you know? version that, of Kevin Millar.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yep. Well, cool, Teddy. I appreciate you jumping on with me and uh, looking forward to seeing you hopefully this spring at some point.
2: Awesome. All
0: right, here with Kendall Rogers, Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt will jump on with us here in a little bit, but we're all kind of time strapped here, so we're going to jump right into this thing. Welcome, gentlemen, again. What's up, RB? What's up,
3: RB? Hey, you know, it's a, you know it's a big time of year when we're on the
5: on the podcast of Brownlee. Yeah, coach uh, Brownlee, you promised there'd be <laughs> Evansville Purple Aces swag. in I, I this couldn't podcast. find I've the jersey,
0: uh, although it was my dad's birthday this week. So February seventh is my dad's uh, was my dad's seventy eighth birthday. Happy uh, birthday, I, Coach. Yeah, happy birthday, Dad. Love you. Um, I actually awesome. wanted to kind of just throw a, a left field one here. I was thinking about this. I want your favorite college World Series memory ever. Ooh, I'll start. I can start because I've got a couple. So the first one for me is when my dad was coaching and I was younger Mm -hmm. when the the, the VHS tape highlight reel would show up. You know, the games weren't on TV that much, but my dad would always get the VHS tape in the mail. It would come in like July. And that was like Christmas (laughs) for me. Now, one I wasn't at, but Brooks Kieschnick throwing 172 pitches in one game. I was at a high school (laughs) party. We're getting ready to win the state championship in Indiana, but I'm watching this at a high school party. And people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching this guy. He's at 140 right now, but he got to 172. But then the other one in person is 97. I worked the Yes Clinic with my dad, Rosenblatt, uh, the NCAA tournament. But that one, Kyle Peterson is at Stanford. It was Ron Polk's last year at Mississippi State. Uh Brandon Larson walked off rice that Friday night for the Friday night game. Uh Roberto Vaz was the Alabama was the SEC player of the year, had a broken leg, was yeah. getting bats at home plate. And then Tim Hudson played center field at Auburn. Troy Gloss was at UCLA. Lance Berkman was at Rice. And then Pat Burl was at Miami.
3: That's some decent players, buddy. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> uh, All
0: right, Kendall, Kendall what do you, know you got?
3: What's funny? You... You know what's funny is like one of the earliest memories I have of the College World Series, remember back in like the mid-90s, like in the middle – so like in the – you guys are a little older than me, so bear with me here. Uh, but back in like the mid-90s and we were at home in the summer in East Texas, and remember like at, like leading up to the College World Series, ESPN would always have like those old like video documentaries of the World Series like highlights That's from every so game? Good. Like, dude, we would sit there all day long and just watch them over and over and over and over. And honestly – that kind of stuff is why I got into college baseball so much. So like that's my earliest memory. But in terms of I actually being there, I think back to runes will like me pulling this one out. I, mean, I think back to 2005 World Series when Nebraska finally got to Omaha, Ooh. and I still remembered the electricity at Rosenblatt Stadium when Andy Gertz hit that grand slam against Arizona State, and then what happens the next? Uh, I think it was like the next half inning? Jeff Larish hits one to deep center, and Arizona State wins. But I still remember that when Andy Gertz hit that homer the left field for the Huskers, the press box was literally shaken. Like, that yeah. place was on fire. And actually, to give ASU a lot of credit, to give Pat Murphy and those guys a lot of credit, I mean, it would have been easy in the middle innings like that, in a game like that, where it just feels like you're in, you're in like a, you know, one of those old school, like, Rome, Roman coliseums and everybody's rooting against you. It'd be easy just to fold. But for Arizona State to win that uh, was pretty impressive. And if I remember right, like – Arizona state like had Texas beat in that world series and kind of fell apart. But like, that was a really, really good Arizona state team.
5: Perfect segue Kendall. So you're conflating 2005 and 2009 and 2009 is the one, you know, 2005, that game you just mentioned, Kendall, Jeff Flair shit three home runs in that game. And Gary Thorne was the announcer with that iconic voice. I still have that saved on my YouTube favorites And i'll watch that i'm telling you i get the chills watching that but i'm gonna i'm gonna um go with what you just said Kendall. 2009 college world series first of all let me say this anytime you see a picture of clip like give me roger clemens in a texas uniform will clark and raffy palmero in a mississippi state uniform barry bonds in a sun devil uniform like i am i am such a sucker i love that stuff but that 2009 super regional or our College World Series RB. There was like 35 big leaguers in that College World Series. And and you're right, Kendall. Mike Leek was 16-0, and 0 and ASU had Texas beat 6 uh in the semifinals. And then, you know, Augie pulled his magic like he always did, and they came back and win. But, like, Cole Calhoun was on Arizona State, DJ Milamahieu, LSU, James McCann, Arkansas, Matt Harvey, North Carolina, Brian Dozier, Southern Miss, Dallas yeah. Keichel, Arkansas, Taylor Youngman, Brandon Belt were on Texas ASU had Mike Leake and Jason Kipnis. I mean, yeah, that that's decent. That, yeah, that World Series was bonkers.
3: And then you and then you have uh, speaking of the ABC, you have Nolan Kane on the back end for LSU. Is a really yeah,
5: good heck player. yeah, let's go, Coach Kane. We gotta and, give our
3: coaches some love.
0: And kind of how I why I brought that up too because I was thinking last night with with the transfer rule going away with NIL, are we going back to those days where we may not see as many mid majors make it to Omaha anymore?
3: Uh, so. I, I guess I'll go first, real quick. I, I think you will see the bigger schools get better, but I will also say this about college baseball. And I keep using this example, but I think back to last year, when you look at Kennesaw State, you think about a guy like Josh Hatcher, who left Mississippi State because he wasn't going to be a starter this past year. He goes to Kennesaw, becomes one of the best players in college baseball. It's over four, I think we hit over 400 for the Owls last year. And so I think the thing about college baseball is, A, yeah, some of these schools may stockpile talent, but, like, they have talent, too, and those kids have to go somewhere. And, B, I think just think college baseball is a lot different than it was 20 years ago. Like, there's so many programs out there with premier facilities. You think about the job that Justin Hare and Campbell have done, and you look at their facility, I mean, it's just as good as as most of the Big Ten, probably better than most of the Big Ten. It's just as good as probably half of the ACC. And so, like, whereas programs like Campbell and that did not have those kind of facilities back then, did not have that kind of pitch, that's not the case anymore. So I think, like, in theory, I guess because of this, yeah, it may be more power-oriented, but you could also argue the other direction because of 11-7 and because there's a lot more schools out there that are putting money into college baseball. So in a very political way, which Rent will tell you I'm very political, I'm kind of really like 50-50 on it, but I but I do lean – like the power school is getting better and better. Well, and Kendall,
0: Texas state has something cooking too, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, well, perfect example. So you bring up the transfer portal, you think about Levi Wells yeah, and you know, like he would be Texas techs ace for sure right now, like not even close. And now he's an all American was one of the big reasons why Texas state got to regional final last year. Uh, You think about Jamie hit Oklahoma. They lose their whole week in rotation. Jamie hit transfers from Texas tech. He's going to be probably their Friday starter. So yeah, I mean, it it does open kind of a, a new world, so to speak, to where you know if you click with one of these guys, uh, whether you're a mid-major or a power, it could it could pay some massive dividends.
0: And I, I would add to that, RB,
5: that the yeah the portal is a two-way street, just like Kendall's saying. And so you know, certainly the power schools have the advantage, but they can't they can only put nine guys on the field. They can't put more than nine on the field, and kids want to play. I would say the other thing too that's interesting is the NCAA tournament is a small sample size where anything can happen. This is another reason why I'm really passionate about the 32 hosts idea where it becomes very much like the basketball tournament where you know like I don't know like can can St. Peter's of College baseball win a regional right now where you got to win 3 games in one weekend. That's pretty tough. But could they win 2 games in a weekend? Oh heck yeah. Like I so anyway, um I I think it's a very fair question but I, I like Kendall. I'm optimistic.
0: And, and, Runes, back to you. I mean, outside of Stanford, you know, and I, I think Stanford's got a legitimate chance of, of winning that thing. Who else on the West Coast? I know the West Coast doesn't always get maybe some of the love early on, but outside of Stanford, and you can talk about Stanford as well, out there on yes. the West Coast.
5: Stanford's the best roster on the West Coast. It's not close. I mean, they're, they're Stanford's on a roll. You know, it, It's easy to forget. Stanford's hosted five straight regionals. I mean, David Esker has got this thing rolling out there um UCLA it's so ironic UCLA has not been back to Omaha since 2013 and you know John Savage is committed to we're going to recruit freshmen we're going to play freshmen they are not doing the portal and uh and so that's you know like that's contrarian but I do I think I think UCLA they invested in that freshman class last year these kids are really good players and they're a year older I think UCLA is very viable you know, UC Santa Barbara and Gonzaga are the programs on the West Coast that have really separated themselves at the mid major level. Um, I think I would give you San Diego is kind of on the come with Brock Ungrich, but yeah. um, Gonzaga and UCSB are resetting their rosters a little bit this year. So I don't, they're not who they were last year. But on the West Coast, I think the Big West is going to be a free for all. It's going to be fun. Um, but I, you know, hey, you, you nailed it. Like Stanford and UCLA. Are that, those are the two teams you got to start with on the West. And
0: Stanford's been to two World Series in a row, and then yep. and they got it going, got it going.
5: And Louis- Louisville's another talent.
0: program in the top twenty-five that doesn't hasn't done a lot with the portal either. Yeah,
5: yeah, it's, I they're fighting.
3: Gotta, it. I, I think that's going to have to change. I mean, I think if you, you know, if you look at Louisville on paper right now, like offensively, you're buying stock, right? But like if you look at, let's say Louisville's week rotation compared to some of the other elite teams around the country. It's not really close on paper. And so UCLA is fine for now, but will they be fine in three or four years if they don't utilize the portal at all? So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Uh, You know, Arizona, speaking of, I guess you can call it West Coast, speaking of the West, like Arizona is another team for me. When you look at some of the position players they have, like Tony Bullard, Chase Davis, certainly some swing and miss, but obviously huge power. Uh, But anytime you have a guy like TJ Nichols with an electric arm who has been a little bit you know up and down kind of a roller coaster ride but, i mean he's one of those guys the runes have seen him great i've seen him great if he clicks i mean he could be one of the top seven or eight pitchers in college baseball
5: and the coaching changes in the pac 12 are be significant you know like i think yeah. the, the early returns on willie bloomquist and chip hale have been exciting andy stankowitz at sc jason kelly at UW. i mean the league is surging in that regard
0: and, and that was my question too like the the yeah. I, I, everybody talks about the players that, that switched programs. There's a lot of coaches that switched programs here in the last two years too. So what type of effect is that going to have where you have Link Jared at FSU that, I mean, there's been a lot of those Dan Fitzgerald at Kansas. There's been a ton of coaching changes as well. And even like guy like Wes Johnson now at LSU, everybody talks about LSU's players, but that's yeah. a big pickup for them as well.
3: Yeah. And, and you know, I kind of look at Florida state as like one of those programs that, that could be like the AM of last year. You know, and I and I hate to like put that expectation on somebody, but you know, I think everybody's gonna look around and go, Oh, okay, who's gonna be the AM of, of this year where you know they get a new coach, all of a sudden they get a couple of additions or a couple of guys step up and all of a sudden they're an Omaha team. And I think Florida State could be that team. I mean, I think when you look at Lee Jarrett and the job he's done offensively, like to me, that's probably their question mark because I think if you look at their, their pitching, you know, Wyatt Kroll, you look at Jack, you know, the uh, Bob kid. Uh, Carson Montgomery, those are all those are those are all big arms. Crowell certainly a, a well accomplished pitcher, but those other two guys are kind of high upside pitchers. And if Chuck Rostano can get those two dialed in, like Florida State could absolutely be an A and M type of team from the the A and M ones last year. So I think everyone kind of goes into the season going, hey, who who can be that slosh slash A and M this year? I think Florida State could be that. I don't know if Washington could be that. But I do think Washington, speaking of the West Coast, is going to be going to be much improved. I think you know they ended last year. People kind of forget that you know they split with Lindsey Megs, but like they actually played pretty well in the end of last year. Mm-hmm. I think Key for Lords is going to make a really big impact that week in rotation, and, and certainly with their with their lineup top to bottom. You know, again, if you're buying stock in a West Coast lineup, you would certainly buy stock in the Huskies.
5: RB on behalf of the ABCA, I think you need to sit down with Jim Schlossnagle and Link Jarrett, and just tell them, hey boys, let's slow down you're making this coaching <laughs> thing look way too easy. Like let's just kind of calm it down. Nah, a little bit. I'm
0: glad I, I want everybody to have success when they show up. Right. Like i being in it for as long as I was, I want everybody to win every game they That's ever right. coach. It's, it's well this hard guy. He's such
3: a see. I'm the hater of all teams. I, Brownlee's like the lover of all teams. I am. Well, you
0: know, Runes <laughs> and I are the same. Like I love everybody. Just on that piece. Yeah. And and by the way, A and M just would they raise like sixty million more dollars to to and they don't need to redo their facility. I was just there this fall, at the Barnstormers event. Yeah, they they don't they put need put to like redo 40, it. It's beautiful.
3: Yeah, they put like forty million into it like a decade ago or so, and now they're they're going to put in sixty more million. So just a just a hundred million dollars into a baseball park. So. Yeah, how it's going to be yeah. interesting. I, I would like to get Schloss's take on some of these new uh, pace of play rules, considering how long A&M's at bats were last year.
0: I was going to ask you guys that too. How much you Ooh. think that's going to affect uh, teams out of the shoot with the step off rule changing, with the the clock with runners on? How much that's going to affect teams uh, early on?
3: I yeah. I will let Runes pretty much have uh, have uh, the stage here because he is a former coach. But I will say this very quickly. Um, I was talking to a couple of coaches yesterday that said it's going to have a massive impact on some games. Uh, they said that, you know, early in that bat, it certainly very much favors the pitcher. But as you get deeper and you get anybody on base, it all of a sudden really, really favors the hitter. So it's like it's basically like feast or famine if you're a pitcher or a hitter with, with these new rules.
5: Yeah, and I just I dislike the fact that. You know, we're comparing it to the minor leagues when we have these pitch clock conversations. And college baseball is nothing like the minor leagues. The the amount of strategy in college baseball compared to the minor leagues is infinitely more. Um, I would have liked to seen an aggressive pitch clock with no one on base, and then let's just actually not have it with runners on base so we can just play baseball. But I, I Kendall nailed it. You know, like making the hitter be in there with 10 seconds left is going to basically nullify offense. Like, it means you can't call play. Like, you either... You know, that's not enough time for the coach to think about it relay the sign. I will say this, RB, like, we all need we, – we need to speed the game up. No one's disputing that. When I watched Georgia and Vandy play last year with that pitch-com wristband thing, man, that that was pace. Yeah. I mean, that – like, that – I think the technology like that can help solve our problems more than a pitch clock. Here's the other thing with the pitch clock. The umpires don't even want to tangle with it. It's going to be hard on them, too. It's going to be really position. hard on on
0: the umpires. Extremely hard. It'll
3: be hard. I, I will say this. Um, speaking of Schlossnagel, you know, I was talking to Jim, and obviously Jim has a pretty elevated role at the ABCA right now, so I'd be curious to see if he kind of advances this. But I know he's really big on the pitch technology. Yeah, the
5: wristband thing. like put the. Yeah. Yeah, Duke always... was using
0: it this fall for the offense. Yeah, They, they were using he, it with their I, offensive side too. And the minor league coaches that I know that are in high aid, they said it was much harder on the hitters last year in the beginning of the minor league season than it was on the pitchers.
3: Yep. yeah i mean what what we just cannot have in college baseball is, is the sport continues to get better it continues to get more fans it continues to cater to people all over the country it is we need less games like a&m and louisville and i keep invoking mm-hmm. a&m in a negative light but like what i'm saying is when you look at a&m last year against louisville that was a nine inning game that was six to four it started at seven o'clock and it ended at like 11 50 like that should never happen
0: who else are you guys hearing out there? I mean, well, hopefully Aaron will jump on here because he attacks the yeah. East Coast really well. But I, I mean, I do you guys feel like LA, everybody's teed up LSU and Tennessee to to play for the national championship? Correct.
5: I think they're just fun, you know. Like I think I think the SC like LSU and Tennessee. I'm curious Kendall's take, but it was pretty easy to start your rankings conversation there, right? Like they're just. But I think what's really fun about LSU and Tennessee is more than just how good their teams are. It's just how inflamed their programs are like the fan bases yeah. are lathered up. The teams are lathered up, um, you know, like they're not sneaking up on anybody. I I've said this a million times. Tennessee in 2022 was one of the best things to happen to college baseball in 25 years. I mean, it average fans got excited about college baseball because of that I think LSU's going to have a similar impact. Um, so, I mean, but, you know, that league is just nuts. I mean, if you can survive the SEC, you can win the national title.
0: But, Runes, did it also help college baseball as well that Notre Dame beat Tennessee to go to the World oh, Series? Oh, heck yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that helps too, right? Like It was like, right? like, like, it was like te- Villanova. The team that's yeah. supposed to win it, and everybody's crowned them, but you have an yeah. underdog that 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 beats them in the Super, which I, R- I think that helps If
5: Tennessee was involved, the answer to your question was yes. Everything Tennessee. Like, they were the car crash that never stopped. Like, you could not take your eyes off those guys.
3: Well, think about the effect like Ben Joyce had on the country too just like everybody kind of following his velocity. But I, I will say this, I think Tennessee's scarier than they were last year because I think this is a program that I think they look back at last year, they know where they went wrong, they know you, know whether it's on the field or off the field with emotionally, they know where they kind of went wrong. They know what they need, they need to fine-tune as a program. Now, yeah, you lose Drew Gilbert and some guys like that, but now you have Chase Dolander. you've got your whole rotation back, you've got key pieces on the back end of the bullpen with Kirby Cannell and company. Uh, you've got all the same coaches back. I think this is a classic situation where the next team is the one that could win it all because I just think they learned a lot of lessons last year. They they learned that, you know what? And uh, in, in RB, y'all y'all have both been coaches. You know how this goes. But um, you know w- when, when you're Tennessee and you play at such a insanely high emotional level all the time, and all of a sudden you're in a super regional, your your season's on the line. You get kicked in the teeth a little bit there in that was that sixth or seventh inning by Notre Dame. When you're playing up here and you're 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 happy and you're playing up here all the time, man, it's hard to handle that. When all of a sudden somebody just kicks the door down, like takes everything out of your house, like it's 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 hard to handle that. And they didn't handle that very well. And I think Tennessee learned a lesson from that, and I think they'll be a lot stronger in in any situation than they were last season.
5: Yep. Hey, RB, I'll segue us to the Big Twelve. So here's a, here's an interesting tidbit for you on the Big Twelve. I mean, almost every school is replacing the rotations. I mean, it's yeah. like brand new pitching in that league. And, you know, and of course, it's the it's the last year or two of the league as we know it. And I, and I think the league will just be fine once they realign in baseball. But, I, you know, I, I think you can't start like, – like the Big 12 conversation starts with Oklahoma State and TCU. I think Oklahoma State had a Omaha team last year. They just – hey, when a preseason top five team, Arkansas, is thrown into your regional as a two-seed, I'm sorry, but that's like really bad – luck you know like that's just not it's not great you know like oh here's the preseason number three team in our regional and they're a two seed what who you know like it looks like a typo almost but hey that you know as they say things happen
0: you know and no, I, no, I, Rusev, mid-majors it right, is a really
3: interesting league
0: yeah you know for me too in, in mid-majors you've got southern miss in there too i mean so there yeah. are, there are a few mid-majors pieces in the top 25. Yeah, and I, and I would say
3: that you know that that's fascinating. I'll, I'll kind of segue into the Sun Belt real quick. I think the Sun Belts are really fascinating. league moving forward, I think this is a lead that year in year out we'll start getting five teams in. You think this year with Georgia Southern last year hosting regional, you get Southern Miss added to the league. You get Louisiana. We already talked about Texas State. You know, Troy Schuyler Meads done a really nice job there. Uh, you know, Brad Stromdahl's done a nice job at Georgia State. Just top to bottom, this league is going to be really good in the future. And, and I just hope from a realignment perspective, they can kind of keep the pieces together for, you know, the long term. Like, let's hope they can keep these pieces together for a decade because, you know, this is suddenly a quote unquote mid-major league that I think now in college baseball is, is a power league, especially at the top.
5: Yeah, they're they're like the old American or the old American. Like, they're like the American five, six years ago, but on steroids. Like, the American was this new league with eight teams or getting four teams in the tournament every year. Southern misses that with 16 teams. Yeah. And so, the, you know, the, no offense to the Big Ten, but I could see the Sun Belt getting a more regional teams in the Big Ten on a consistent basis if the Big Ten's not careful. Yeah,
3: yeah. and what helps these teams, too, guys, is uh, the fact that uh, where they're located from a midweek standpoint. Like, if you're Troy – you're playing Alabama, Auburn, uh, and teams like that in midweek. And I, and I forgot to mention South Al. I mean, South Al's in that discussion, too, with all these teams. But, you know, you're playing those teams. If you're if you're uh, Louisiana, you're playing LSU, Tulane, Houston, so on. And, and Texas State's playing Texas and Texas A&M. They have a just kind of an inherent advantage over a lot of these, quote-unquote, upper mid-majors in the sense that they can really bolster their RPI in the midweek, and that's going to make their, their RPI – like in their, in their conference as a whole in the weekend, be even better.
0: I mean, what are you guys looking for here early with some of the early action? I mean, obviously, tech, there's a lot going on in Texas early in there.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I think when you look at opening weekend, we just talked about Oklahoma State. We talked about, uh, you know, Arkansas briefly. You know, Texas, you know, speaking of Texas, uh, that's an interesting team this year. You're talking about a program that lost Troy Tulowitzki as their hitting coach. They lost Sean Allen, uh, who was – strangely uh, let go, but um you know he went to Ohio State. That's a good staff over their, there by just, the way
0: at Ohio State now.
3: Oh, they're great. Um, Bill Mosey, I'll say this. If I was just looking with them a in a the fall team and to be the a lot planet. better than what you expect. Keep an eye on Ohio state 'cause they've got they've got an excellent coaching staff. The thing about Mo's is he's gonna get the absolute most out of those dudes. Like that's just the way he rolls. And he'll he'll let you hear about it. You know, we've we've all clashed with Mo at some point. So yeah no keep an eye on those guys but like Texas for me is just really like I have no idea what to expect I think that when you look at their their young players with guys like you know Jared Thomas and Jalen Flores I think they're going to make a big impact but you know Runes and I've had this discussion before but I just look at their weekend rotation outside of Lucas Gordon and I go am I really believing in Zane Morehouse and like Charlie Hurley to be like a big time big 12 weekend rotation I'm not so sure about that
5: yeah. And RB, you had asked, what are we looking for early? So, so I'll give you two thoughts. One is I heard Davis, David Pierce interviewed again recently, and he talked about, you know, Texas has been to Omaha three of the last four years. Now they do have a very new roster in a lot of ways. And, you know, Kendall mentioned the pitching, they have a very brand new coaching staff and that's interesting, but it's easy to forget the first weekend, two years ago, 2021, Texas went to that global life deal and got embarrassed. I mean, they got run off the field three times. Yeah. Like, guys are considering quitting baseball that weekend, (laughs) you know, like it was not good. And they lost a
0: series South Carolina last year too.
5: Yeah. Right. So things, you know, sometimes things um, in the, in the early going can be a little bit tricky, but I would say like for me, selfishly in Arizona, you know, we're going to have Tennessee out here for that MLB four tournament. You know, I I just think the thing about Tennessee is that pitching staff reminds me of the Braves in the nineties. Like, Come on with Doe Lander and Beam and Burns. Is it right? similar to Rice's like, staff? I mean, that yeah. Oh, for sure it is. It's three first-round picks, right? Yeah. Kendall. Like That's I mean, great, those those are three first-round round picks.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of when Rice had their their three guys going. Yeah. And Ardsma on the back, by the way. Nobody wants yeah. to talk now, about. No, by Dave. the way, David Ardsma is pretty about... good on the back end of that.
5: Yeah, he was good. And and now they. No, by the way, Tennessee has Cannon Sewell and the Andrew Lindsey kid from Charlotte that throws a bazillion. But um, uh, you mentioned you were asking about mid majors. Grand Canyon, very interesting. Now, Andy Stankwitz is gone. Greg Wallace is in. Greg Wallace is great, but his first time as a head coach. You know, Jacob Wilson's going to be a first-rounder. They got two legit dudes on the front end, David, uh, Daniel, Avidia, and then also Connor Markle. So, Grand Canyon's plucky. You know, like, they're they're um don't – don't be shocked if they give Tennessee a real headache that opening weekend.
3: Yeah, I mean, that opening weekend for Tennessee, guys, isn't easy. I mean, you think about Arizona opening day against T.J. Nichols. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. going to be a tough matchup for them. I and mean, you think about GC with one of these two guys at the front end. So that's not a, it's not an easy weekend for the Bulls to start things off.
0: Love it. Is there a chance that Wake Forest jumps in finally? There, right. My, my All neck of the wood. This one.
5: So Wake Forest is, is uh,
0: <laughs> here's the deal. Wait for Aaron D. to jump on to, to ask you him know that. What? I know,
3: right? He, here's the thing. You know, He'll jump on they, now. He's Wake Forest. I'm gonna see yeah, them yeah. in
0: a couple weekends, and they're yeah. they've got all kinds of talent.
5: Fitzie's gonna get a speeding ticket on his way in <laughs> to talk about the Deeks. So so here's the thing. We all love that coach staff. Tom Walters a stud. Oh, you know, good coach timing. He's jumping stud. in. That's right, Deek Day. <laughs> Oh, but,
3: totally shocking that he hops yeah.
5: in and we're talking about <laughs> Wake Forest. Yeah, th- this finger. is the, this is the segue of all segues. <laughs> Fitzy, we're going to we're going to let this set the table for Wake Forest oh, really? yes. for Fitzy. Here's the thing, RB. 2017, they're a win from Omaha, right? They lose in game 3 of that super, but the truth is between t- that game 3 of that super regional and then last year's 2022 team, Wake Forest was a soul crusher. You know, like they were the team you got excited about and then just struggled for three consecutive full seasons. But, you know, as Fitzy will say when he gets logged in here, th- this year's Wake Forest team, the roster is so strong, you can't look away. You, you, they have to be taken seriously because of the talent on the yeah, roster. Yeah.
4: Guys, you know. I'm just glad you, you went to the bullpen at the perfect time. I could tell Pendle <laughs> was getting into trouble. His pitch count was getting elevated. He starts talking about the Deeks. He doesn't know where to look. He freaks out. That, hey, right and you they are my on, de facto home.
0: They're my de facto home squad hey. because they're 15 minutes from the office. So they're they're my de facto. I love that staff. I love going over there. You know, it's it's not always uh, – it's a little chilly early in the year. Cause, but – I love going over there. So they're my de facto home team because yeah. they always give me tickets when I go over there. So I, I will say guys. this
3: before Aaron does his like, dissertation on uh, Wake Forest. Dicta. But I will say this uh, about Wake is, like, it's an interesting year for, for that for that coaching staff. Not, not so much even the players, but the coaching staff, because you have a team that everyone knows should be in Omaha. And, like, just trying to navigate the season with those kind of expectations for a team who we've all talked about it. You guys are former coaches, like – if you don't have a if you don't have an elite winning culture it can sometimes be hard to get to that point. So just how they manage that roster and manage the expectations considering what they've accomplished in the past will be difficult. But there's no doubt on paper this this is a slam dunk Omaha team.
4: And and look, it's not like it's some big reach from where they were last year. I mean they, they won 41 games. They had a top yeah. 10 RPI. Like they had a legitimate chance a case to host a regional. Uh, they went 15 and 14 and one in the league, the winning record in the ACC with the top 10 RPI. Like most years, that's a regional hosting resume. A lot of times it's the top eight. You know, that's the kind of year they had last year. So it's not like it's some huge leap to say, oh my God, they're gonna be a top 10 team. Like they basically were last year. You know, if you look at the the metrics um, and, you know, just, they're just loaded. I mean, what can you say? Outside Tennessee, I don't think there's any team in the country that has the kind of firepower on the mound. You're talking about three potential first round picks. You know, Rhett Lauder, who's, reigning ACC pitcher of the year. And you got Teddy McGraw, who's just electric and we're talking high 90 stuff with a wipeout slide piece and a change. And he's, you know, the numbers last year don't do it justice because he was a totally different guy in the second half after making an adjustment. And then, you know, team USA, he pitched for in the Cape. I mean, he's just, a, he's a dude and he's just, he's a raw Northeast kid from upstate New York who's just coming into his own. Uh, yeah, he's an elite talent. And Josh Hartle was the highest ranked pitcher to, to set foot on campus last year. He's your Sunday guy, uh, unless they put him on Saturday to break up those two righties. But, I mean, like, he's your number three starter. He's a totally different guy. They've overhauled him this fall. So, it's just, you know. Just they played the, the much typical...
0: better defense last year, too. They, yes. they were much better defensively last year than they had been in the past. And, you know, Ty Blankbriner did a good job with those infielders a little bit. But they, they just moved around better. They played much better defense. And that lineup's got a chance to be scary, too.
4: That's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's you know, you grade this team out and they grade out extremely high in, in every phase because usually the defense has been the knock on this program, right? That's, that's been the case. You're right. Last year was much better. Now you bring in Bennett Lee, who I think is a huge upgrade behind the plate, uh, the two-lane transfer. Um, they like this shortstop, Justin Johnson, they brought in from Lafayette. You know, we'll, we'll see on that. Maybe that's a little bit of a question mark, but I mean, uh, it seems like a solid defensive club with real firepower, real, again, star power, all-American type guys on the corners with Nick Kurtz, um who's a first team preseason all American for us by the way hits for power and average controls the zone and, and Brock Wilkin on their side there's just veterans all over the place i mean they're loaded they, they don't really have an excuse in my opinion uh not to be not to be the class of the ACC this year and i think it's funny that the coaches didn't pick them uh even to win their division i think they picked them behind i don't know they were i think they may be second behind in, Louisville, they're, they're, behind yeah, Louisville. yeah yeah so which, there's you some know,
0: history to that, too, with, sure. with that. But the other team is Virginia Tech. I mean, obviously, they I, they were playing great last year, and then Oklahoma went in and, and punched them in the mouth. And, and they couldn't do anything about that. So I'm intrigued to watch Virginia Tech because I think they've got a chance to be really good, and maybe they learned from last year a little bit, too.
5: I have a yeah. thought on Virginia Tech, RB, that, you know, when you're doing preseason rankings, you, when a team loses big-time stars, like I'm thinking of Oklahoma here – you kind of walk away from them because you just feel like there's no way the next wave can be as good as the kids that just left. And I think about Gavin Cross. I think about Tanner Shoebell for Virginia Tech. I think about the catcher. I think it's Kate Hunter. You know, these, these were elite players. But Joe Healy, you know, our, 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 our offseason acquisition, um, uh, you know, Joe Healy kind of forced us to dive back into Virginia Tech. And you start looking at that roster and Jack Hurley and Carson Martini and, you know, like Drew Hackenberg is back and, so you start looking at Virginia like, dang, like that is an actually a really, really good team again.
4: And, and he ruins you just named two guys who are preseason All-Americans for us and, and Hackenberg and, and Hurley and Demartini could have been, you know, we talked about him at third base and it wouldn't shock me if he winds up being one of the three best third basemen in the country. I mean, he's a great player. He even played some shortstop this fall and um, it, it kind of impressed the scouts with how well he played that position. So more athletic than you think he's got speed and power and hits for average uh, emerging superstar for me at, uh, as a sophomore.
0: Actually, before we get back into it, Aaron, you have to answer your favorite college world series memory.
4: Um, I mean, I, I guess for me, I, I'm going to have to go back to 2010. I guess the first thing that jumps to my mind, uh, you know, Michael Roth, the emergence of the legend of Michael Roth, um, you know, this guy that I wouldn't say we, wouldn't, we hadn't heard of, but he was a situational lefty, you know, that they call upon. I think that game in particular, uh, the do or die game where they, they, they call on him to start um, against Clemson and he goes the distance, right? I don't know if it was a two-hitter or some crazy thing. Yeah. I mean, that was that was the game to me that, that uh, you know and it was at Rosenblatt the last year at Rosenblatt they go on to win the college World Series I mean that that World Series to me even though it was bittersweet and it, it hurt the end of Rosenblatt um it was still magical you know and, and uh, it provided all the theater that I think that that place deserved. It was incredible World Series and that South Carolina team was so special loved those group of kids um and uh, and so that's kind of the moment I think about
0: Are they back is South Carolina back? I mean they worked through some injuries yeah. they're back.
4: You're just you just feeding me you know fastball down the middle here. You're just like right in my wheelhouse, Coach. Yeah, can you spin something? But I love on that me? staff. I mean, I again, mean, and three Kendall and I here.
0: talked about. It. I do love most of the staffs that we have in college baseball, but obviously, well, Mark well, Kingston coached with you, my dad at Illinois State, so there's yeah. there's some history. Mike Current was there with my dad, at Illinois State, so there's some history there with those guys.
3: It's really it's really interesting because I think we would all agree that like Mark Kingston's a really good Ooh. coach. If you, I mean, if you look at every step of the way in his career, he's been a very good coach. So it's been odd. And granted, they, they didn't get to a Super Regional, one was a couple of years ago against Arkansas. Uh, but, I mean, for the most part, like, things haven't been great there. But I, I will say this when you look at South Carolina is, you know, we talked about the A&M model earlier, and Aaron kind of pointed pointed to this in his fall report on South Carolina uh, a couple of months ago. But, like, they kind of followed the A&M model of picking up some, some upperclassmen pieces out of the transfer portal, when you look at their pitching staff, you know you've got an All-American Will Sanders at the front end. You've got a really nice weapon in Kate Austin at the back end. You've got some talented newcomers. So again, I mean, maybe not Wake Forest potential, but this is a team that that definitely could be a top fifteen, you know, host type of t- t- you know type of team if everything kind of comes
0: together. Is Vandy jumping back in too? I mean, I think we just kind of always just expect that they're going to be there as of lately, but well
5: i got a strong opinion on on Vandy here. So, you know, Enrique Bradfield Jr., we we talked about this a a month ago, RB. Like, if, if Enrique Bradfield Jr. hits 15 home runs, by the way, he hit eight last year, and he steals 60 bags, like... Look out, Dylan Cruz! Like, like we're not etching your name in the Golden Spikes Trophy yet, right? Like, and then if if Tim Corbin and Scott Brown decide to have uh, Nick Malnado and Thomas Schultz as the closers, co-closers, like you better not be behind Vandy in the fifth inning, or else you're done, because those two kids can make twelve outs disappear. Now, if you know, and Carter Holton, I think is you know i think we had him appropriately put in the all-american thing but it would not shock me in the least to see carter holton be a first team all-american i think that kid remember his last three sec starts last year Shut. you know no runs no runs no runs so anyway i i am very intrigued by vandy let's be honest their position player groups have been underwhelming since 2019 but i think this group's got a little bit more to them and i think that the pitching could set up to be just you know really difficult to tangle with on a weekend.
0: And we haven't talked about Ole Miss yet. I mean, you guys got them up there pretty high. They can – I know it's almost impossible to repeat. Can they repeat?
4: I mean, they got a chance. You know, there's a reason we got them ranked in the top five. I mean, I I walked away – uh, this fall after going into Oxford thinking, hey, wait a minute, you know, again, like 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 Coach Rooney said, y- you lose all the stars, the Tim Elkos and the Kevin Grahams and all these these players, Doug, you know, uh, they're two years removed now from Doug Nicasey, But like all these guys were household names there, uh, you know, Justin Bench and Dunhurst. And like you think, oh, well, you know, surely they'll, t- they'll take a step back. But boy, I don't think they are. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you got, you know, you got a new catcher waiting in the wings, Calvin Harris, who I think is going to step right in and be one of the best catchers in the country. So, like that, that position is solved. You still have one of the best shortstops in the country with Jacob Gonzalez. Um, uh, Camp Alderman's about to have a monster year. I mean, he's, he's going to be, He's going to be an all America. That's that's the most egregious snub from the D1 baseball mm. all america team. Kendall, uh, Kendall, <laughs> wouldn't let me put Kemp Alderman on the all america team. I'm just kidding. I like what? to throw Kendall, I like to throw Kendall under the bus when I can. But uh, uh, they're 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 going to be very offensive again, you know. And I know that it's different names. I love Ethan Groff and uh, Ethan Leger, the junior college transfer. Calarco, the the transfer from Northwestern, they did a great job in the portal, kind of beefing up that lineup and. Uh, my only concern is there is less experience on the mound now, and losing Josh Mallett's the closer, which happened, I believe, after we ranked this team um, in the top five. That, that's a blow. You know that. Uh, fun is, fact: Clerco's
0: really uh, brother played for me in the junior futures games. The prep baseball report, nice. junior futures games. Uh, that's a fun fact. Uh, the, yeah. the younger one. Runes, before you, I know you got to go. Before you go, who's been your favorite Sunday conversation that you had?
5: Ooh, that's a good question. I've loved the pitcher conversations because, you know, that's really not my area. The two that have stuck out for me were the pitcher conversations because, you know, they're tangling with technology, but you still got to throw strikes. And, and the catcher conversations makes me like I had two, we had two catcher conversations. It made me feel like uh, there's a bunch of future head coaches there. You know, Netting Pros was our sponsor. I met Johnny Burbank at the ABCA convention. That was a, you know, that's going to be on my top test, top 10 list of things that happened to me in 2023. Um, and RB, as I bid adieu, you're going to ask me for my Golden Spikes winner. And I'm going to say Joe Healy of D1Baseball.com. Joe Healy is going to win <laughs> the Golden Spikes this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Reigns. Thank you, sir. Great to see you boys. Yep.
4: We, know, we know it's not going to be Kendall Rogers. Kendall can't, can't Kendall win any J. Rogers. Awards, or guys, over oh, his career when it comes to awards. Yeah, that's all right. Aaron <laughs>
0: and Kendall, what did you guys think hey, of boys, the convention this year? What, what were your thoughts coming out of the convention this year? Uh, I
3: thought it was, I thought it was really good. I mean, I think it's certainly very informative. I, I wish I would have probably listened to the discussion on the, the pace of play rules a little, little more, just because that's a really, really hot button issue with the coaches right now. And, and I would also say this, I think I said this on a previous podcast, but like for coaches, I guess, Division one coaches that are listening in is like be like be active in some of these meetings, like whether it's the rules meeting or the or the Division one meeting. Like nobody got up and spoke, but I can tell you right now, I've gotten calls from multiple coaches since then, complaining about stuff. And it's just like if you have something to say, like be be vocal about it at the ABCA. But I thought it was an awesome. Uh, event as usual, man. It was, it was terrific.
0: And and I would stand up, like, even though I was kind of a nobody at that yeah. point, I still would, would stand up and voice my opinion on things on, on what's best for, for college baseball. And that's like, if you have an issue, like get up, talk, say, Hey, yeah. this is what we feel like is best for college baseball.
3: Well, I still thinking back to Aaron, I can correct me. I, I forget years, but there was one year, I think it was whenever they were debating the transfer the like the old school one-time transfer, I still remember like Tony Vittorio when he, I think he was at, was it Dayton at the time? Dayton. And like him and Jack Leggett, like they weren't about to fight or anything, but like they were, they were like kind of yelling at each other, debating this whole one-time transfer deal. And like, I'm not saying you need to yell at each other, but like those kind of debates are are healthy for the sport. Yes. Because I can tell you right now, there are coaches out there who want like no, no transferring want the most minimum roster possible and all these things, when there are other coaches who want forty-man roster, unlimited counters, more scholarships, and it's just you know two people on totally different wavelengths. Like I think it's important to kind of talk because you, you know what it's kind of, one of those things. Like you, you learn a lot by just listening, yeah. and I think I think the more guys can talk at those meetings, I think I think other coaches might learn something they otherwise would have never learned.
0: Aaron, who else out there? I mean, obviously North Carolina is in the top 25, Maryland. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are some programs that have been really good here the last few years. And, yeah. you know, North Carolina is going to have some firepower back.
4: Yeah, yeah. We, we can talk about the, I don't know who you guys talked about already. We so, haven't. Uh, we you haven't. can feed me. Okay. Yeah, I mean.
3: Car- focus on the Carolinas area. That, that's yeah, the sure. area we really didn't focus on.
4: Yeah, I mean, North Carolina is, is once again, it feels like uh, very offensive. They were scary down the stretch last year, you know, when they went on that, that tour and run. Um, I mean, boy, they could, they could hit for a ton of power and speed. And it was, uh, it was, it was kind of a wrecking ball, you know, and, and you, most of those guys are back. You know, obviously Vance Honeycutt's one of the best players in the country. I mean, power, speed, he could be a, he could be the first 35, 35 guy. I don't know. Like he's, he's, he was close to 30, 30 last year. Um, I mean, it's, you know, 20, was it 29 steals, 25 home runs or vice versa. It was, it was I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an awesome dynamic player, but Mac Horvath kind of sneaky, like could be a 2020 guy. He can, he's, he he steals bases and hits for power and Alberto Asuna has power. And, uh, I, I really like the defensive personnel up the middle with, with like a Tomas Frick and a Colby Wilkerson, these kind of veteran guys, uh, in addition to Honeycutt, who's just in my opinion, the best defensive center fielder in the country, period. Um you know, Bradfield, you know, Cruz, are some really good ones out there. Honeycutt's the best. So they're going to play great defense. I think they're actually deeper on the mound. They have, uh, you still got your kind of workhorse veteran Max Carlson guy at the front, but I like some of the uh, emerging pieces, the Dalton Pence coming off a redshirt year, left-hander looked great this fall. Connor Bovier power arm second year. Now after transferring to Sienna. I could see him having a, a big step forward. Now that he kind of is familiar with the ACC, got a great, great arm. Uh, anyway, there's just, it feels like last year it was a little bit of, of smoke and mirrors with the pitching staff. And that way it was almost like East Carolina where it's like, um, you know, kind of held it together, you know, mixing a lot of mixing and matching and East Carolina, another team that it just feels like they're much better on the mound. They're more stable. They're going to get more length out of their rotation this year. Um, it, we'll see if, if they stick with the plan to, to leave Carter Spivey in the rotation You know, guy that was the, the. Conference Pitcher of the Year last year as a reliever. Um, I mean, he's been extended. He could work multiple innings, but he was actually really good in the postseason when they when they started him. But um, you know, if they leave him as their Friday guy, eats up a lot of innings. I feel like they've got the pieces in the bullpen to make that work. Um, and then Josh grows, maybe a Savage could be you know workhorse six seven inning guys with power stuff. So. Uh, East Carolina last year felt like the, the offense was their strength, like North Carolina, and both those teams I feel like, are much better in the mound. Um, Pirates maybe less potent offensively, but still plenty of veteran guys there. They're going to play defense like they always do, uh, but it feels like this year for, for East Carolina, it's it's more of a pitching strength. I'm really excited about those two teams facing off early in the season. I think it's week two. Uh, that and Campbell series. too. You got East Carolina and
0: yeah. Campbell are going to square off like that. I, you and I, I love being in this area now because especially yeah. the midweek stuff and, and all the other stuff you have going on. Yeah. Who was the, the best team you saw this fall? Like coming away, it was like, okay. Or, or, or were there like two or three where it's like, ah, kind of neck and neck.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we talked about Ole Miss. That was certainly on my short list. Um, Oklahoma State and Arkansas, I made a trip out that way. I like both those teams. They're both in our top 10. Um, I would say out of the teams I saw, because I didn't see some of the teams at the top of our rankings, um, those were probably the three. I mean, I actually didn't say Big Forest either this fall, which is a, which is a crime. A crime. Uh, but yeah, I know but those you know what going you're going to get
0: out of them. Kind of know That's what you're right. going to get with their guys. Right. Kendall, 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 what, what about weeks? you? Yeah, Aaron,
3: you liked Oklahoma a lot too, right? Yeah. Even though we didn't have them ranked preseason, you liked their club.
4: Sleeper club for me, like they yeah. were for you last year. I, I, that team, I think, is just going to be super fun to watch with all the, the speed. And uh, and don't know, count they, that they coaching
0: staff out either. I mean, I, we yeah. have so many good coaching staffs, but that, that coaching staff's going to get everything they, they can out of, out of their team.
4: The real deal.
3: Can I, can I be really cliche? Yes. Uh, the best team I saw in the fall was LSU.
0: Yes. <laughs> I and, uh, hey, in all seriousness,
3: <laughs> like I think the second pitch I saw in my first fall scrimmage, Dylan Cruz hit a home run, hit a line drive, like a, just an absolute missile over left field wall. Tommy White hit two home runs, like it was a clinic. I I think my main takeaway from that though was the fact that, you know, we've talked so much already in this pod about personalities in the program. And I thought when you looked at LSU in that scrimmage, granted it was the middle of fall. Well, like, that was a very business-like approach. It was a very dialed-in team, and it seemed like a really close team. And so I think in the fall, if you're seeing those kind of hallmarks, like that, that's big going in the spring. So they were they were the best team I saw. Uh, obviously, A&M was really good. I think the – you know, keep an eye on Nathan Detmer. He was a guy that when I saw him this fall, he was up to 97, uh, 98 with his fastball last year. He would bump 95, but for the most part, it was ninety ninety four. Uh, again, I saw Texas – I think U of H, I think Todd Whitting has a really nice club down there. you know, you get Zach Arnold and Ian McMillan back on the left, left side of the infield uh, and keep an eye on Matt Dex's club at Louisiana, Carson Rock of 40. That's a name that, you know, guys like Aaron and myself and you know, uh, but he is going to be a household name in college baseball this year. He's an electric player. He's going to be full-time center field for the Cajuns. And if Louisiana, if they can get, you know, kind of more consistent, more, more stable elite pitching, um, they could be a team I could very easily see in Omaha because they're going to be electric offensively. When you think about, you know, Rocker 40, Heath Hood, Kyle DeVarge at shortstop. I've been on that train for a couple of years now. Uh, and, and kind of the list goes on. They're going to be a really good club.
0: And with LSU, I mean, you're kind of forced. You better take care of business with, with that roster because if you don't, you're, you're not going to be on the field. I mean, that's part but of it. I will like, say you better this, bring it RV, every day or you're not going to be on the field. Yeah,
3: yeah, but I'll say this RB, and we've talked about coaches and how good our coaches are. I, I think they have the perfect coach for this kind of season. I think Jay is one of those guys that is, is such a. I, I coach Chris like Bryant. A like that's the thing. Like he
0: coached Chris Bryant, so like he yeah. knows how to deal with egos and expectations with guys.
3: I feel like Jay is one of those coaches. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, but like he's one of those coaches, legitimately, just coaches in the moment like he coaches in the situation that is presented to him. And like last year they lose in a regional final and his whole message is like, we didn't have enough pitching. Like, I don't ever want to be in this position again. And like, he just goes out in the off season and just goes scorched earth and gets the team he needs to get. And now he goes in the season and you kind of, you know, we talked to, you know, we talked to him in Nashville. We, you know, we sat there and at, at, the, at the fuse and, and talked to him for like an hour and you ask him about the expectations. You're asking about how good this team's going to be. And, like, it is a dude that is not phased whatsoever. Like, it is not a guy that's nervous. It is not a guy that's going, oh, no, LSU fans might yell at me if we lose a weekend series to Alabama. Like, he knows what the expectations are, and, the, and he's not remotely scared of that. And the thing about teams is, uh, and you've been in this position before, is they, they sometimes take on the personality of their coach. I don't think it's any coincidence that – Ole Miss, you look at Ole Miss overall, Ole Miss is a a program that a few years ago people always said, oh, well, they they play tight in the postseason because Mike Bianco, you know, looks like he's, you know, uptight, nervous in the dugout. I don't think it's any coincidence that last year that Mike Bianco is in a situation to where, you know, let's let's all admit it, he's essentially saving his job. He basically goes out there with, like, nothing to lose, coaches lose, and all of a sudden what does his team do? They go in the postseason – and they look like game busters. So I think teams feed off of whatever the personality of the coach is.
0: And Tim Tatlock at Texas Tech. Like, it, for me, he's, yeah, he's a that's a, great like example. a great, just low pulse, just goes about his business, yeah. and Texas Tech plays that way.
4: No but, it's, you know, it. but it's funny because there are some other coaches out there that I feel like are very tightly wound. And yet, like, if you think about, hey, like Tim, yeah. Tim Corbin is one of the best coaches in college baseball mm-hmm. history. Uh, he, he is tightly wound. But if you look at his best teams, like the 14-15 teams, that group of players and, and he, t- he you know, Corbis did a masterful job when yeah. by the time he got to the postseason, like kind of letting them go, right? Like loosening the reins and letting them just letting them gallop and be themselves and have mm-hmm. have fun. But and Ray Tanner was the same way, you know. I mean, but when he really figured it out was when, you know, those 2010, 2011, 12 teams, he just let those kids with all the big personalities go out there and be themselves and have big personalities. And they got to Omaha and like they didn't like you know, they weren't all tense about, about the whole experience. They just like, all yeah. right, guys, like, I trust you now. You know, it's like it's like the mm-hmm. analogy that Corbin always talked about with like you letting letting the kids like, you know, now they got their driver's license, whatever, like you got to just kind of let them go. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so I, I do think that, you know, there, there is there is a, a room over the, even over the course of a given season for coaches to change kind of their style with the way they approach a team. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, make, going into the best The best ones you know, can adjust
0: as needed. Yeah, The best ones it. adjust and as needed.
4: Even in 2014, 15, I'm sure going into those seasons, Tim Corbin was probably still like, you know, ruled with an iron fist, if you will. But by the time we got to May, you know, in June, the games mattered more and, and he was more hands off. And, and I just think that that's maybe the way that a lot of the great ones approach it.
0: What are some final thoughts for let you guys go? I know you time crunch. You got a big podcast coming up tomorrow, correct?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing for me uh, is it, just you know how how often in college baseball do you see the best team not win it? And I think the the percentages are that somebody like LSU is not going to win it, and the percentages are someone like Tennessee is probably not going to win it. So uh, who's it going to be? I mean, you've got what you know. Arkansas was what the Sixth-place six place SEC team, they're our eighth-ranked team in the country. So, you know, is it out of the SEC? Is it somebody like Wake Forest out of the ACC? I, I still think there's going to be some teams emerge. I still I still look at Florida State as a club that I know, you know, Aaron, myself, and Runes all looked at pretty extensively in our top 25 discussions. I still think that's a team for me that when you look at the rotation and you look at the, the impact that Link Jarrett has on offenses – that's a club that I think at the end of the year we could look at and go, man, I can't believe we didn't rank them. And, and so I, I'll be very curious to see just how all these schools with coaching changes do. Keep an eye on UW out on the West Coast, though. I think Jason Kelly uh, has has some really premier talent on the front of that rotation. And, I, again, I think they're going to hit. Keep an eye on UW. That's a, that's my sleeper in the Pac-12. Aaron,
0: who you
4: got? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it, you know, Kendall's right. I mean, the, the best team, quote, unquote, Never wins a thing. It's I mean, the best thing about number college number baseball. One, number one national seed hasn't won at all since 1999. To, you know, Miami, the very first year of the 64-team uh, era. That's the only time it's happened. And so LSU is the best team. They could, go out, they could go out and have the best season like Tennessee did last year or, you know, Oregon State did in 2017 when they went 54-4 and or whatever the heck it was and didn't mm-hmm. win at all. I mean, and the next year they do. You know, maybe, maybe this is the year after for Tennessee. I could totally see that happening. You know the year, the the team after the team, as, as people always say, I think there's a lot a lot to that. There's a little bit less pressure on kids. They they've been through it a little bit more. I mean, you look at Arkansas last year. They, I know they didn't win it all, but like they had, you know, the year after they were the juggernaut team, um, didn't get to Omaha uh, in 2021. You know, after being the number one national seed, it was devastating. They come back and they do get to Omaha, and, and you know, I, I certainly think Tennessee will be in Omaha. And uh, if I had to pick somebody right now, that might be who I'm picking. Love it.
3: What about Wake?
4: I mean, you got to get I, – I feel <laughs> like teams that – I do feel like there's something to be said for, like, breaking through. Like, usually the first time team doesn't I – want mean, Coastal did in 2016. That was um, rare, you know, for a team with a group They'd of players. They've been building coaches. for a while, though.
0: Coastal had yeah. been building for a while. Like, you could, for sure. you, you could tell something was brewing there with those guys. Like, they, and the makeup, they had just – they were just right there.
4: And the makeup with that group of kids, too, was it was it was like that 2015 – um, Vanderbilt team, or the or the 2010 South Carolina team. It, for me, like those are my probably my three favorite groups of players that I think I've ever covered. Uh, just from the personalities and just the, it's just something special in the air with those with those with those kids. And so we got to find out who that group is this year. Who who's that group yeah. of group of kids that just has the magic? We'll yep. find that's the great part about college baseball. We get yep. to find out as we go.
0: As always, appreciate the partnership, gentlemen. It's good it, stuff. Bro. Keep keep up the great work. I love it, and uh, I enjoy following you guys all year.
3: Thanks, RB. Good talking to you, man.
4: Always a pleasure, Coach.
0: I'll see you soon, Aaron. Huge thanks to all of our sports writers for their hard work on their previews and rankings. Give them a little grace here if they don't get it right. It's a really hard job. We have a lot of intriguing storylines to start the year. I'm really excited to see how this season plays out. The great thing about college baseball is it's probably not going to end up how anybody thinks it will. I want to wish everyone a safe and successful season. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb__abca, or direct message me via the My ABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.
4: free